Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about virtual production and media. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit of time on. Today, we're going to spend the second hour talking about uh, <laughs> talking about the education. Uh, the second hours um, we're looking for, like, what are we going to do with graphics, IT, artists, audio? So we kind of know what we want to do for video and education, but we're trying to think about what we're going to do for the second hours for graphics, IT, uh, artists and audio. So if you have ideas of things you'd like us to do, this is kind of good end of the year for us to think about next year um, and uh, the rest of this year. Uh, so think about what you might want to do. Graphics, IT, artists, and audio. We'll talk about that in the second hour. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Mitch, what do we have? Thank you, Alex. Our first one's in from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. I have a Zoom presenter that speaks in a low, whispery voice due to a vocal cord injury. Advice on mics for this situation. Would a throat mic work? Thanks. Go ahead, Mitch. I don't, I don't understand the mechanics of it so well, so I can't say that the throat mic would be a good choice. But I would suggest a condenser because that's going to pick up a lot of the uh, subtleties of the voice, particularly if it's a little whispery. So that would be my first uh, guess on trying that out. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I, I think I would fall along the same lines. The problem with a throat mic in this condition is your whispery and all the guttural sounds, particularly G's and things like where you have to growl a little to get it out there, is going to be a difficulty if you have an injury there. I'm hoping that uh, it's a long ago injury that has healing because if you do have a vocal cord injury, I'm sure your doctor will have told you not to use it as much. So uh, doing that kind of work if you have an injury is not going to be good for your long-term prospects. But but uh, throat mics are fine, and they work. They work in a lot of circumstances, but they generally rely on picking up the rumble, the resonance of the cavity, and you're not going to have a lot of that if you got this problem. Yeah, I think that what I would what I would think about. There's a couple of things. One is a large diaphragm mic that's going to pick up everything, as as was talked about before. A large diaphragm um, condenser mic is going to probably be the most sensitive. Um, to what what is um, what's being spoken, but that's also as you turn that way up. Remember that everything around that person is going to be heard. So you're going to want to think about what kind of environment they're in. Um, so as you turn it up to hear their voice, um, it's also going to impact um, you know how much you hear of the room, echo, uh, noise, everything else. So think about how to make that that environment great. I'd love to hear the results of that as you start to work on it because it'd be really interesting to find out if you find a successful solution. All right, next question. Jacob uh, Jacob, Goodnight from Indianapolis, Indiana, wants to know what software tools can convert RTMP to NDI? Good guy. Yeah, there's quite a few, depending on how much you want to pay in of your Mac or PC. One of the first questions I'd ask is if you could do it with SRT, because it opens up some other options. But uh, the first one for free would be a Nimble uh, by Sothellum on the PC. It's a little bit wonky to set up. It, it does take some uh, studying of their YouTube videos, which they have some great videos up. Uh, that's a super powerful tool. And then uh, next is uh, RTMP Mini Server by Garanin. And those are some guys in... Uh, Russia, who also make a SRT mini server that uh, works well for broadcasters, uh, that's Mac and PC. Uh, that does get expensive there. You're 70 bucks a month or $700 for a permanent license. Then uh, on uh, the new tech side, NDI Connect Pro, which is like uh, 49 bucks a month. The way that I do it uh, for cheap because I have the software already is a lot of people don't know this, so you can do it with uh, Livestream Studio. So you just go into our RTMP server, you flip it on. Uh, it's port 1935 plus your IP address. And then from there, you just go to the uh, outputs 
and then you flip on NDI output so you can uh, see that stream on the network. So that's another option. Uh, vMix will do RTSP, not RTMP. And then in hardware, uh, I use a ProInk. Uh, it's a $999 uh, device. It'll do uh, three or four streams. So you might want to do it in hardware. That's the way that I would recommend doing it. Yeah, and, and I think that I believe that uh, many of the software solutions will do it as well. I mean, so like a, um, a Memo Live, I think, has an RTMP ingest. Uh, the, uh, the, heart, the way I've done it mostly has been with Elementals. <laughs> so, so the Elementals will definitely, not the links, but the larger appliances will definitely do it as well. So it, there's, but, but I think that as far as software tools, I think Guy nailed it. Next question. From Paul Wallace from Austin, Texas. What's the backstory of the picture from Zoomtopia I saw on LinkedIn today with Guy Cochran, Alex Lindsay, John Edelson, Andy Carluccio, and David Brady, and all the other stars of our industry? It is the advantage of having a conference. So I talk a lot about conferences not not being the future, but I will say that there is. I, I, I this is why I think digital first is is so much is is actually the best solution in a lot of these. Having a place that people can gather, uh, but not necessarily pushing the online audience out to the back. Um, but I think that this is uh, this is a good example. Um, it turned out there were a lot of people in town. So um, so uh, Guy and and David and many other people had <clears throat> many people from the Zoom team had come in. Uh, so they they were all uh, uh, they were all there, and I drove down. I it was I, I only had to drive an hour or so to get down there, and uh, so we all decided to have dinner. And that was it. There was no no big story and nothing else going on. Just uh, a bunch of us were in, in the same rough, you know, group of zip codes and decided to um, to have a great dinner. And it was it was great. Who picked uh, up the tab? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Peter John Goulden from Santiago, uh, Santiago, Chile. Uh, had trouble setting up Starlink due to address issue, got it to work, but would like to move to a second location, Vacation House. Can I do this without going through customer uh, no support? Go ahead, Serge. You have to activate the uh, portal. Um, I don't know exactly the name of the feature, but this is a feature that make you able to move your Starlink without asking to move the address. Remember, though, that if you do that, you are not going the same priority service that you have for your fixed address, and uh, the speed might be impacted with that. Yeah, and I think it's like 10 or $20 more a month, I think, is the, is the, uh, yeah, the extra service, something in that range. Yeah. yeah. Next question. Simon Rea from Shrewsbury, UK. What software-only configuration would the panel recommend for recording four 1080p feeds from Zoom with ISO Audio plus the Muxed Audio on just an 8-gigabyte M1 Mac Mini with plenty of storage. This is for later editing and Final Cut and not for live streaming. I'm not sure that you could do all of those things at the same time. We would have to test it. You're now starting to, I mean, a, a Mac, I mean, on a, on a studio, absolutely. On a Mac Mini, um, you're asking it to do a lot of things all at the same time. Um, I'd be a little bit, I'd, I'd, I'd have to test it. Go ahead, Peter. I've done it with two streams on a Mac Mini using, actually using Memo to do it, just directing the, right. directing the recordings from the specific sources. But I'm with you. I think I'd be, I was pushing that Mac Mini to about 75% utilization to make that happen. And and yeah. that's, just, that's, that's, that's two. Yeah, that's two. That was yeah, two. I don't, I, I, I don't think that for, uh, you know, we, we'd have to test it, and I think that you'd be pushing at seventy five percent, for instance. What, what Peter's talking about is higher than I would go. Like, I just won't take a computer more than sixty 
What were you say, Peter? I said it was higher than I wanted to go. I said, yeah, no, exactly. we're not gonna we're not gonna do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, next question. Dan Chan in San Francisco, California. Is it normal to have crushed blacks when screen sharing through an ATEM? And how can you fix it? Go ahead, Serge. Well, we all discuss about that because uh, the ATEM USB connection using the webcam protocol is giving that crushed black problem. Uh, using the HDMI out with another capture device resolved it. My my issue right now was using the cam link, like Alex explained. Uh, we have a black and overheat problem, so I I go back to the uh, ATEM, even though the crush the, the have the pr- crush black problem because it's more stable. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, the problem is the ATEM outputs full, and you want to be able to switch from partial to full in order to get the right uh, color gamut. So you're not going to do that in Zoom. You need to run through something else like vMix or uh, uh, Mimo or OBS maybe, but they have the ability to adjust that and fix that problem. Yeah, so uh, what I'm gonna do, I just got most of my computers all set up again for my kit as I spun my, my, my studio around. I'm gonna try something so it works in my head. Um, I have done this with other, I did this once before with the ATEM and, it, and it, I think it worked, but I gotta do it, I gotta test it a little bit more than just think it works. And what I'm gonna do is I'm going to um, output, and I, and again, I, I'm not entirely certain this is going to work, but output it to a monitor and then use a spider, you know, one of these guys, um, these little spiders, to correct the output of the computer to the screen so that it will, it it it, it should, because it, basically that, you know, what you're, when you're saving your settings, you're basically saving what essentially is a LUT. Um, you know, that's coming out of the screen. So it's just adjusting that computer. It won't mean that you can plug anything in and make it work. Um, I do think that the solution is probably to use a different digitizing device. One thing I haven't been able to do yet is put a web presenter, the new upper, you know, higher end web presenter in to see if that does the same thing as the, uh, I have a feeling that those chips are very similar. <laughs> so so we, it's a matter of figuring figuring that out. But correcting, you know, what you need to do is you need to correct the output of the computer that's going in through it because the problem is is that it's sending full we, we believe it's sending full and most operations are are looking at it as um as uh, video range instead of full range i don't notice it on my quick time on quick time <laughs> so so i so i think that it may not be uh i i you know i think that it's it's the way that zoom may be interpreting it as a which zoom is interpreting the way that you would probably want to interpret every webcam but it's but it happens to be different for the black magic uh, go ahead uh, john I can confirm the same issues happened on the 12G monitor as well as the 4K uh, web presenter. Yeah, so so I so we're we're still working through that, but it's it, it's definitely coming to a head where we got to find a solution. So we're working on it. Um, next question from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Did you watch the eCam rollout of 4.1? Was it better than they self-produced it with all the sync etc. issues, or should they have framed or farmed out this production? Elon breaking the Tesla truck window, for example. Go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, I did watch it. Uh, I enjoyed it. I think there's a lot of good features in the next version, particularly the uh, video ISOs, other thing that I'm looking for. Um, uh, you know, one of the things we're very used to now is an impatience to get to the content. And there was too much chitty chatty chat chat up front, not enough, uh, let's jump to the content. Now, what, what uh, Paul's talking about was they had sync issues at the beginning. Some women sort of say, well, you know, I should 
given what you're doing, shouldn't you have got that right first? And the answer is they probably should have done. Maybe an external company would do it. Um, what was impressive, though, is they shut the stream down and, and brought it back up again, and it just jumped in. We didn't have to re-log in. So that was a proof of when things break, they can recover. At the end of the day, I think, I don't know whether they deliberately did it in this style, which was very relaxed, very chit-chat, slightly... I don't want to say amateurish, but slightly more relaxed. Or that's just the style they use and they're sticking with it. But, but if I was them, I would probably up the game, get to the content a bit quicker, and then put the chat on the back of it. You go, John. Yeah, Nigel nailed it. it I, I was embarrassed for them in the beginning. Ecamm's a great product. They've come a long way. They've been a long. They've been a, they've been around for a long time. Their products come a long way. They use all the new frameworks. And uh, it's a good product. I, I would have rather seen it a recorded presentation very quick and then Q&A on the backside. Yeah, the problem is, is that the number one fear that we have when we look at software-based editing tools is sync, audio sync. <laughs> so what they just, whether that, you know, however they set that up, that's the one thing that can't go wrong in your, if you're doing software-based switching, the one thing, the one thing that you can't have go wrong is audio sync because that's what, everybody is worried about. That's what I worry about when, when someone's when I think about audio, when I think about a video based switch or a software based switcher, all I think about is audio sync. And so they just, yeah, that was unfortunate. Next question. Stan Chan in San Francisco, California. Stan asked, how many 4K streams can an instance of OBS handle? I think it would depend. Um, I think on a Mac, maybe half of one. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, you know, so I, on a really beefy PC, PC, I mean, I think it just depends on how many processors you put in. I don't know whether OBS can see more than one GPU. So, you know, I, if it can, then you could, you know, stack those up and probably get a lot of performance out of them. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I think it would depend on Mac and PC. It would depend on uh, what type of processor um, that you did. The other thing to note is that, it is easier to process video at the same resolution. So what you really want to ask is how many ladders could it produce? So when we think about processing, we don't think about how to produce one 4K stream. We think about how to produce a 4K, a 1080p, a 720p, a 540p, a 360p. The scaling takes a lot of power. You know, it takes a lot of GPU power to scale the uh, the video down. And so um, that's the other thing to think about. But, you know, multiples of the same one is only the encode, which is much uh, lighter hit on the CPU. Um, next question. From Shane Smith in Winter Garden, Florida. Shane asks, I'm struggling to get into the office hours Zoom for my email link. Any suggestions? Uh, you just need to make sure that you're, uh, I think you need to make sure you're logged in into Zoom with the same email that you are trying, that you're getting that email from. So you just got to make sure you may, I have a bunch of Zoom accounts uh, for all the different organizations that I'm in that use Zoom. And so I have to make sure that I'm, when I'm clicking on the link, it is the link connected to, like I'm going through one of the email accounts that have it. That's my guess that what you're having trouble with. Uh, next question. Tony Mobley in Noonan, Georgia, and here on the panel. If money is no object, what product hardware would you add to your setup? Uh, go ahead, Bill. I would get rid of all the miscellaneous lights, and I would buy three light panels Geminis. They only <laughs> run about $4,000 a piece, and I think key fill and backlight with Geminis would be lovely. Go ahead, Tony. Uh, 6K camera and a tripod to hold it. Go ahead, uh, Tom. Well, I really miss T-bar faders. My first thought was a Blackmagic Constellation 4ME with a control surface. But 
if money is no object, I'd like the Grass Valley Cayenne. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And the problem is, is that thing takes up a lot of space. You'd have a hard time in your office. I mean, it's what I know. I know that you want to spend it because someone just told you money is no object. I, I just won the lottery. You might as well get one. But it's a, I got to tell you, it's big. Big board. Uh, go ahead, Nigel. Oh, but it would be fun. It would be fun. You just have to figure out, oh, which input do I use? Uh, go ahead, uh, Nigel. So I thought Bill was very modest with uh, under the heading of money, no objects. So mine would be an 8K broadcasting truck and somewhere to park it. And the somewhere to park it <laughs> may be the bigger issue for me than anything. Uh, if we're talking realistically money that I could get uh, hold of if, say, we didn't eat for a while or something, I think that the jump I would like to do is to take my studio to 4K. And I really cannot justify doing that, but that might be an interesting set of thinking. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. I'd like a uh, new console instead of my older uh, hybrid. Go to a Wheatstone or a Dante-based uh, system. It'd be nice. And while I'm at it, um, I do have a, uh, a light panel, and uh, Bill did mention uh, the Gemini. Uh, I would go for an Astra soft panel, but uh, those are nice uh, Too light small. fixtures. Too small. <laughs> That's what you say. Yeah, I I um uh I can't think of the name of the the lights that my brother just got, but my brother and Pollock when we were working on the on a show, my brother brought these out. These and I just can't think of the name of them, but they're really nice. They're like a whole nother level of of light that um I hadn't I hadn't seen before. Um maybe if Tollock's listening, we could throw it in the chat. But but the um anyway, uh the uh I would get I'm actually pretty happy with I don't know how much more I might get a couple ATEM uh you know, I, I, as far as switchers go, I don't find that I need a lot of what the other switchers would do on a day-to-day basis for my studio. Maybe, I mean, maybe we could get something, a Cayenne for something bigger. Um, but the, um, but I'm pretty happy with that. I would get, um, but I would probably have two or three of them just so I had that. I'd get a Utah Scientific or, you know, maybe even a, uh, a Snell right, uh, router, but a Utah, Utah Scientific 256 by 256 uh a 12, 12G router would really make my life a lot easier uh, to make that actually work. Um, I would probably get, um, you know, since we're, since I'm, I would just say that it's part of the studio, but it might be part of the house is a BSS 806 for the house, maybe, and then, and then crown amps that are all on a blue network so that I could tie all the, 30, the 37 speakers in my house to, to, uh, to something that's more centralized. EVS, of course, so that I can play back things for all of you. Um, I would get, you know, I think that a that a uh, a, a multi-channel 4K EVS would be um, exceptional um, in this uh, in this situation. Of course, I would get, you know, things like Matchbox and and uh, you know the SRI. You'd get them all, all those feeds, you know, coming in and um, a, a, quite a few 8K uh, Hyperdex, um, you know, just to make sure that I have everything I need. I go ahead, Mitchell. No, I already went to you, oh, guy. I already got in there. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, probably, man, it, it, it's so monstrous just because when I start to look at some of these things, the, the cost, I mean, we're just talking like Super Bowl. I mean, I'm, I'm a dreamer. So yeah, I'd want a full-on truck if possible. But Fujinon <laughs> just did come out with a lens that, that, that at the end of this article, it says, if you have to ask the price, uh, you can't afford it, which they're showing a Sony Venice shooting full frame 6K, 17 by 9 uh, with a 25 to 1000, which is the equivalent of a 40X lens. And so it's a box lens. So uh, maybe three of these, you know, maybe, maybe more. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> I so forgot to say that if I was going to pick the camera, it'd be an Airy LF with a, um, an Airy LF with its a good ingenue lens, you know, tw- the 25 to 250 is pretty good, but it doesn't open up quite as wide. But if you had the LF, you could make up for it. So that'd be the other one that I'd look at there. Yeah. I think, but I, I agree with you guy. That's, 
It's a good lens. <laughs> what do you think? It's about 150K a lens. Oh, I'm sure more than that. Probably quite oh, really? a million. Yeah. Oh, really? I haven't, because most of the lenses in that realm have been in that 150 to 200,000 range. You know, or ninety we'll to two hundred, nine hundred thousand. I guess I could ask the Fujinon rep. Uh, I have yeah, ask him now, now. Okay, all right. I'll pick up and I'll let you yeah, guys know I'm, tomorrow. I'm in. I'm in the market for um <laughs> for three three of your lenses. But, I yeah. might you have more than one? Or you could say I have a client. I have a client that's that's looking for these lenses. They're asking me how much these lenses are, and let us. Give me great poupon for that. Yeah, please. exactly. All right. Next question from Josh Kaufman in Pittsburgh, PA. 44.1 or 48 kilohertz audio for audio playback or video playback. When would you use each and when does it not matter? Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Um, it is a, a picky uh, subject because uh, most editing systems really want to see 48. If you run 44 into it, they have to scale that uh, that frame rate, uh, not frame rate, uh, sample rate back. And uh, a lot of times you end up getting this weird clicking sound or as it tries to resync and resample. Uh, so typically 48, um, it's better to use a, uh, a high quality DAW to transfer that 44.1 into a 48. And uh, the only time it does not matter is when you're listening on a, a high quality DAC off of a, a, a CD, which is mastered at 44.1. I go ahead, Bill. What he said, if we hadn't had CDs, nobody would use 44.1. Everything's 48 now. Just stick there and you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. 40, 48. Uh, and it, this, I was told we, we should probably do a whole little like video on the origins of 44, one versus 48, but I was told that 48 is related to 24 frames a second. And it was something that Avid established, which is why all of production sits in 48. So I would definitely, I can form everything to 48 on the way. Um, next question. Next question in from Graham Cardwell and Belfast, Northern Ireland. I'm preparing some sound bites and key points video from a recent conference for sharing on Facebook with the attendees. What is the optimum length for such a piece? I'm aiming at two minutes. Is that too long? I would say as short as possible while maintaining the idea. You know, so if people talk for three and a half minutes about a certain subject, don't cut it out. Um, but but I would try to keep them short. I would say two minutes is when I'm putting stuff up like that, two minutes is a long, it's a very long time you know, so to put on Facebook. So it's not that you can't do that. It's just that you want to make sure that, and, and what you're looking for is not just the length of the post, but what, what you really want to be thinking about is content density. So how, how much data and how much is going on. Um, and, and there's a lot of content density, even in something like if you watch an American football game, there's a lot of a density there because there is, there's things happening. There's a ton of graphics in front of you. There's people talking about it. There's, you know, and that's expensive to, to, to do that. But if you're editing something to down, down, you really have to tell that cohesive story. You can hold on to someone for two or three minutes, but it takes an enormous amount of work um, to, to make that really worth watching. Go ahead, Bill. Riffing on what uh, Alex was just talking about in the classic copy thing for radio copy that's wall to wall was 85 words for a 30, about 160 words for a 60 second spot. So if you're talking about twice a 60 second spot, imagine the information density that you get out of watching just a 60 second commercial or listening to one on the radio. There's a lot of material in there. And you would hope, I would hope, that if you're doing something to engage an audience, you want to put a lot more air in there. Sometimes giving them a thought and letting them ruminate on it for a beat or two before you go to the next thought is really yeah. increases the retention and things like that. So, you know, I agree with Alex, as short as you can make it, 
it, it should be just long enough to get the thought across to the audience and no more than that. Next question. Tony Mobley, Noonan, Georgia, here on our panel, asks, what is the panel's opinion on the best graphic tools to use on video production of small or large events? Go ahead, Mitchell. Um, typically, a uh, editing system is going to have basic graphics uh, built in, so you can do lower thirds, maybe bring in some uh, still frames and things like that. But um, it depends on what uh, system you've sort of uh, sold on. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Adobe uh, ecosystem, so that means I'm using After Effects and Illustrator and Photoshop. And uh, it's nice because they integrate well into Premiere, so you don't have to round trip it by going out into the program, making your changes, then coming back into the program and re-importing. It's there, and uh, it's very easy to get in and out. Hey, go ahead, uh, Tony. Yeah, right now I'm using uh, Canva, and I'm use also using the Affinity uh, products as well. I just really wanted to see what else is out there that the community is interested in. And go ahead, Guy. Yeah, it just depends on what you want to do. You can go all the way up to uh, the Ross expression, which is what you'll see on the Super Volts and things like that. You can use Unreal to generate some of that that uh, interface. Um, Flowix is one that was just acquired, I believe, by Vizzert. So that's another one to take a look at. I'll put a link to the chat uh, in the chat to both of those. Uh, and then it just depends. I mean, we got SPX that uh, they just made that announcement, which we should see. If you guys haven't signed up by the end of the month, they have a... Uh, um, for Zoom, it was announced at Zoomtopia that they have a package that will be released here in the next couple of days. So I'd sign up for that announcement. And then, yeah, just again, it depends on what you're doing. We like vMix for graphics because you can, the, the data set in there, so you can pull in things in real time like scoring. So if you have uh, needs like that, there are some triggers that you can use to make that stuff more automated and easy to wipe in, wipe out, sting and things like that. You go ahead, John. For House of Worship, I see a lot of people using ProPresenter and ProClaim. Uh, Proclaim is a much uh, more affordable option. So if you're looking at something simple to play out uh, things, uh, both of those are good options. Yeah, and I think the uh, the Affinity tools are, are really good as far as just basic uh, graphics editing. Uh, I I would probably, if I was trying to use them as graphics, I would probably use Keynote over Canva because there's just a lot a lot of animations and the animations are really good. And specifically Keynote um, is particularly good at anti-aliasing and, and kerning. <laughs> it seems like a minor thing, but it just, everything looks more finished on in Keynote than it does almost anywhere else I've worked. And I, you know, you, when you can't quite put your finger on it, it usually has to do with some odd little things that they're doing as far as the, the, the spacings and so on and so forth. But the animations are really nice. We just had a client deliver us all the motion graphics in Keynote. <laughs> Like with things flowing in and exactly what they wanted, the, their artist was not a, a, we asked for After Effects actually. <laughs> so so we, and what we got was, uh, was Keynote. And I thought, oh, this isn't going to work. And if you turn off the background, you set it to, to transparent and you export out those those files. And they all came out with Apple ProRes 444 and we were able to drop them right in, I believe. Um, I didn't have to do it myself. Uh, I, I, I think that there's, you can actually do some pretty impressive things with um, with that now. Stepping up from there, I would strongly recommend looking at Motion because it's not very expensive and it's extremely fast. So Motion's $50 and it is the biggest bang for your buck that you can get. For $50, what it can do is amazing, you know, especially if you're already in a Final Cut uh, workflow. Go ahead, Bill. Well, I was just going to say in most cases, and I think 
PC works the same way that Mac does. Every graphic you generate in a Mac computer system is really going through the fundamental backend process, core graphics and the thing for Mac. So most of the, the software you get is really a front end that either exposes or limits the number of tools you have for driving that backend API in order to generate the actual graphics that go on the screen. So the, the interface is your privilege and, and preference. It doesn't really make any difference almost all of these can get you the same result. I mean, the engine for doing uh, sound in Logic is the same one that does it in Final Cut. And the engine for doing graphics in Motion is the same one that does it in Final Cut. Yep. It's it's the API talking to these fundamental things. Yeah, next question. Next question in from Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. Monopods has a selfie stick. I've seen waste harnesses for vlogging like this, but can't seem to find one that looks like the stitchings aren't terrible. Yeah, I'm a little confused by that because I'm trying to figure out what you're trying to shoot there. When you say the stitchings aren't, aren't, uh, isn't terrible, are you trying to do a 360 with it? Um, uh, you know, that's the, that's the question I have for you. So if you can ask that question again and just rephrase it, let us know exactly what you're trying to get done. I don't quite understand the, the use case. Go ahead, Peter. I interpret it as a fashion statement. He says the stitching on the harness is terrible. Um, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, let's go to the next question. Try to rephrase that, Chris. Go ahead. Next question. Jeff Cohen, Miami Beach, Florida. Any good iPhone lightning docks? I want to connect to USB devices and get HDMI out from the iPhone. Apple dongles do one or the other. Can't daisy chain them. There are knockoff dongles out there with both jacks, but reviews claim they don't work. Go ahead, Serge. I never found or never use a lightning dock, but what I did use is the Belkin uh, dual lightning port. And with that device, I was able to daisy chain multiple... Uh, uh, lightning adapters. Yeah, go ahead, John. I'd be concerned about the bandwidth. Um, you're probably not going to be able to push any sort of significant amount of data through uh, the lightning port. So just be aware of what you're trying to do. If it's an audio interface plus HDMI out, you're going to start reaching limitations of the port. Yeah, I was trying to find it. I believe that there's another version of this. This is uh, this is actually USB-C, but I believe for my iPad, but I believe that there is a version of this for the Lightning, and I just can't quite put my finger on it right right then. Um, and this has USB. It has um, you power. There's one that has Lightning power, USB, and uh, HDMI out. And then that's what I think you're going to actually want to do. You, you, but I just don't have it right in front of me. Go ahead, Peter. I said, I have one just like yours. And then I looked it up on the Apple website. It's gone. So they don't okay. offer it anymore. All right. Go ahead, Tony. Yeah, I was going to say Apple. And uh, also Uni, uh, U-N-I, is also uh, an alternative. Yeah, I know that there's one that does have all of those things in one, in one place. Um, yeah, next question. Paul Wallace from Austin, Texas asks, what happens if Alex's background comes into focus? You know, what happens is, is that it, it, you, know, the, the, you start to merge time and space and, uh, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's not a good sign. Uh, we, we, we don't do it when we're recording. We might do it on a Sunday. Uh, next question. Henry Ramos from Yonkers, New York asked if delivering video to be shared on social is H.264 the standard and how low can you go with the bitrate? No sports, say lecture panels or gala awards. It still depends. 
<laughs> uh, it depends on your resolution. So, you know, what, what resolution uh, are you going to put it out at? Remember that sometimes a higher resolution with a higher, with more compression might not look good, as good as a lower resolution. So you might have a, a 1920 by, or 1920 by 1080 image, but if you went to 960 by 540, it may actually look better at the same bit rate if you're already, if you're already crushing it. So you don't see as much of the, um, you might, you, so you want to think about the quality of pixels, not just the number of pixels that are there. Um, so you might see more banding, you might see more breakup, you might see more macro blocking if you are at the 1920 by 1080, whereas the 960 by 540 may not have that. So you want to think about what resolution you want to deliver against that as well. So, you know, as far as low as you can go, one of the things to do is if you're not moving the camera a lot, is to increase the the distance between keyframes. And so you'll see keyframes is one of the things you can often do, or the size of your GOP is really, you know, what we what a lot of times we talk about. And so um, you might with MacBreak, one of the things that MacBreak video when we got started to save bandwidth because we were doing 1080p is we increased that key rate frame instead of being 60 frames, we made it 200. And that greatly reduced the size because it doesn't have to write a whole frame. And we knew that most of the frame wasn't moving. It's why we didn't move the frame. So we had a lock off shot. And um, by doing that, we and we, by, by having green screen and by removing a lot of the the noise that we would have had out there, it became a very efficient frame and was we were able to drop it from, you know, three quarters of the size, three quarters down um, from there. So that's a um, so that's one thing to kind of think about is is also how you shoot it will make a difference in in how low you can go. Go ahead, Kai. Yeah, another thing to think about if you're in a low bandwidth situation is if you could bounce it off something else. Uh, we'll use uh, Teradek has something called Core where we can shoot up an H.265 stream and that way we could be at, let's say, 750 kilobits instead of 1.5 megabit. So literally half and get the same exact quality. But we do get an additional delay because we're transcoding and it does have a per hour fee to use one of these transcoding services. But that's just a, another route or if you can bond uh, something like a live viewer. Um, uh, one of the other devices from TV. Well, I think it, and I think he's delivering his video to be shared on social as opposed to live. So it's it's really like he's compressing it and he wants to see how small it will go. Um, and again, if you're putting it on a social network, you shouldn't care. Like well, how small it is, they're going to make it the size that makes sense for them. They may actually, if you send something, really, the only reason that you'd make it small is because you're trying to get, you're having trouble getting it up to the social network. But if you're putting it on a social network like Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or whatever, they're going to all transcode it anyway. So I'm not sure, you know, contextually why you would want to do that. Usually what you want to do is get it to a reasonable size and then and then put it up. But um, if, if you're really paying for the bits is the only time you'd really worry about it. Um, next question. Nigel Dessau from Austin, uh, USA, Austin, Texas, USA, uh, asked, I watched iJustine cover Descript. Anyone used this tool? Go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, I'd never really come across it before. And it appears to me that it transcribes your video. And if what you're doing is a piece of camera, it looks like an interesting way to edit where effectively you edit the transcript and it does the video edits for you. And I wondered whether it was too good to be true or not as good as it sounds. Uh, you know, we, we have to get these guys on. We'll put them on for, you know, like a list of someone we want to put on for the second hour because I really want to see what all they do because it seems like they're adding a lot of different features um, that, that have, you know, it's not just that you can edit it and, and there are, you know, they have screen recording and podcasting and they have a, a studio sound and they have a lot of other things. They've been adding all the features that you would see in post-production into, into this thing that started with what you talked about, which is you get a transcript, you cut the transcript, you end up with a video. 
Um, and, you know, there's other things that do that. Um, Simon Says, which was something that we use a lot, does that as well. Um, but the but this one seems to be really taking, you know, taking it to a whole different level. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, next question. Jeff Cohen, Miami Beach, Florida, asked, 44.1 versus 48 kilohertz audio follow-up. What if you're mixing 44.1 voice tracks with 48 kilohertz music? What's the best setting for the final output, assuming not specified by the client? Go ahead, Mitchell. Um, any good DAW, uh, an audio DAW, can do those uh, uh, those conversions on the fly and mix them both together. Uh, but I would not trust it to your video editing system. I know for a fact that Premiere would probably choke a little on that 44.1, uh, even if it is on voice. And you would hear this clicking, annoying clicking sound as it resyncs. So um, I would say if, if you want to be safe and you're dealing with a client, uh, do a conversion on the actual files before you go in and make them both 48. Go ahead, Bill. Uh, Final Cut actually does it, so it doesn't matter if you, you you're going to output at 48 kilohertz because that's a digital video standard. I've tossed CDs and other things in there, and it just does the pull up on command, and it kind of keeps it hidden from you and just works. I never do that. <laughs> just so you know, like like I I, I will say that uh, I've been bitten so many times by Final Cut and Resolve uh, with multiple formats, whether it's video or audio, that I will. Uh, um, I will always conform everything. Everything's going to be in ProRes for with a 48, uh, you know, like if, if I get, if someone sends me something that isn't in that format, I conform it, you know, because um, it's, what happens is, is that you, it's not like a major thing, like suddenly it doesn't work. There's little glitches and little things that happen and more overhead and little um, quirks that occur when, when you put things in and all these all these video editing tools and all the audio tools will tell you that they can do that. But when you start actually asking them to do it, you're opening up, it's just another variable in their system that I just do not recommend. Next question. Next question in from Tommy Shantz in St. Paul, Minnesota. Our live stream has had two of the cameras go black for and powering the cameras. Didn't make a difference. ATEM Mini Pro, any idea what's happening? Go ahead, Serge. It's difficult to be sure what exactly happened, but uh, one thing for sure is I'm going to try to reboot the ATM if that problem occurs. I know during a show it might be a biggest issue to reboot an ATM. I don't know if if you have the possibility to switch to another stream while you reboot, but that's the first thing I will try. Yeah, it'd be interesting to look at what was different or what might have changed for them to do that like you really have to rewind when you have an issue like that you really have to rewind what what did you change like what's what's different about this if it's been working for weeks and suddenly it stopped working now if it just you just put it together then you're you, there's more too many variables but if you if had it working and it didn't work you change something <laughs> like it's not it, it, you know there you have to kind of start like okay let's start pulling back the variables I had a problem uh, yesterday, actually, last night. Um, I'm kind of putting together my studio again, and I, um, I was trying to pass my uh, my telestrator, which almost done. I lost my pen. Anyway, so um, I, I, I everything else is working about it, but I was trying to pass that computer into my ATEM, and it was blinking, and so the input was going it was going through a Blackbird and then into the. And I have to admit, I've gotten much more exotic because I was using just the front panel of my Blackbird for a long time and realize there's a whole interface <laughs> that, that I can get to. And so I've been like readjusting all the things in the Blackbird and, and, and you know, copying EDIDs and doing all this other stuff. And it was blinking. And I was like, well, that didn't happen in the last time version of the kit. So I started 
backing up through that process of what, and I realized I had, I'd always had it connected directly to the switcher. So then I did a search for blinking and it turns out that the, the black magic, for instance, going through something like a, if you send a computer through a blackbird um, or through a Kramer or through anything else, it blinks. We don't know why. No one knows why. They just know it doesn't work. <laughs> so, so I had, you know, so I was, it saved me a lot of time, but I, I had to turn, I had to kind of turn off everything because I, I had to think about what I had changed after I torn it apart and what was different now. And it was because I was being more exotic, trying to run it through something else that works everywhere else. It's <laughs> just not there. <laughs> so, so um, you, you, you don't want to make any assumptions. Go ahead, Mitchell. I uh, would be interested, Tommy, whether that is actual black that's coming out of it or the, uh, what we call the infamous ATEM gray. Um, and when I have an ATEM gray occurrence on Zoom, uh, rebooting the camera does exactly what you describe. It doesn't fix the problem. You have to reboot the ATEM. So maybe it's one or the other, but take a look and see if it's not really gray. Next question. Next question from Chad Lafarge in Columbia, Missouri. We've been waiting for a reality scan to come out of beta or add test flight seats since April. Does anyone know anything about their progress? I haven't seen any major difference in the progress. I have reality scan. I got into it in the first like 10 minutes. <laughs> so so I uh, I have it. It works. All I can say is I'm sorry. It works really good. It's, it's really really good program. Um, so hopefully they're going to release it sometime soon because it, it seems very stable. It works really well. Um, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't release it. I'm actually going to do uh, later today, I'm going to do a, a 3D model of my of my ATEM <laughs> you know, because I can't find a good model online to, 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 for 3D printing. Um, and so, uh, so I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. Next question. Next question in from Chris Widener, Lafayette, Indiana. I think we've heard this question uh, worded slightly differently. Monopods has selfie stick. I've seen waist harnesses for vlogging like this with an iPhone camera or DJI Pocket 2, but can't seem to find one that looks like the harness isn't cheaply made. Any suggestions? Go ahead, Bill. Well, for me personally, I'm not sure I would want a harness. The reason is I have a, a monopod that I use often nowadays with shooting. It generally ends up with an iPhone on the top. I have an iPhone 14 Pro that it goes on the top. My 13, which I still have, goes down below and I use uh, Bluetooth to have one as a framing thing. And the whole advantage of a monopod is to be, for me, to be able to get high angles, low angles, or whatever else really quickly and agilely. The idea that this would be so overweight that I couldn't hold it for a substantial period of time and would need some kind of like marching band flag carrying unit just doesn't seem to me the way I would use that, but to each their own. Yeah, it's, you know, I think that part of it is they're probably kind of in a world of trying to figure out what they think uh, the market is, you know, who is using a selfie and whether that, um, you know, whether that makes, you know, whether that would make sense. Um, you know, I'm trying to look at, uh, let's see here, I'm just trying to see if I could find something because there was, I was looking for, to search at like B&H because B&H would probably have the higher end versions of those, but all they have is lots of selfie sticks. Yeah, I think that it does look like your limit is about a 20 or $30 um, harness. And um, yeah, uh, I mean, I think that one of those would probably be about as good as you're going to get. Because again, I think that they, I think the assumption is your market is a certain kind of market that isn't going to spend a lot of, isn't going to spend $80 on a, on a harness. Um, you probably, what I would probably do if I wanted a really high quality one is probably buy one and then I would buy webbing and then I would go to a tailor. <laughs> 
and have them just make one. Like, you know, here's, I, we've done this before for other things. Like we, we want a rugged version of something that is really cheap. And we've literally just gone to a, a, a tailor. Now it costs, you know, $200, but it's super nice. Uh, not for this specifically, but we've built other harnesses that way where there's a whole bunch of cheap ones. I just want one that looks really nice and does exactly what it does. And what's funny is you, you use it at an event. You know what happens? You don't think there's a market for that, but you take that to NAB, which I did, you know, 10 years ago, whatever. And everybody asks you where you got that harness. <laughs> like, where did you get that? Like, it's finally like a really nice, it was, it was a harness for um, a, a video camera. And at the time there just weren't a lot of good ones. And we, this was like in the aughts, you know, 2007, 2008. And we built this one, but it was based on a cheap one, but we just made it with all the nice components and these big buckles and things that you can just pop off. And and we, you know, I should have sold it. Probably could have, probably could have uh, retired on it. Go ahead, Tom. Well, I was just out here looking at U.S. flag supply and a flag bearer harness for parades. Uh, they're a little upscale. They get into the near $100 range and look much nicer made and, uh, you know, you have leather ones and various types. Yeah. Uh, what, no, what, what, say that again. Where is it? Uh, U.S. Flag Supply. Okay. Okay. Very good. Um, that would be a good, they probably know a lot about stitching. <laughs> go ahead, guy. All right. We're going to go into the Wayback Machine because this video is like 13 years old, but there is something called a Steady Stick by uh, Tiffin. And you can see me with a big old... Uh, what is this, uh, Canon XL1 or two? But I do spin the thing around at some point. So this is a meant for the bigger cameras, but you could you could see where I spin the whole camera around there, and you could shoot yourself, uh, you know, with a smaller camera with one not so big of a lens. Let me go back to where the material. Yeah, you could see the belt there. Uh, nice jeans. This is very very uh, early 2000. So, anyways. Uh, yeah, four, 15 years ago is when I put this video up. I'll put a link to it in the chat. They still make this thing. It's $115. Davis Sanford Steady Stick with quick release for 103 Nice. Next question. Paul Valhus in Austin, Texas. Is the virtual events group uh, a good value at $99 a year? What do they offer? No idea. <laughs> I don't no idea what they do. Uh, next question. Chris Widener from Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, behind the scenes options must most seem to require a lot of operator interaction unless you're just running a simple time lapse. Any suggestions besides the Canon I asked about the other day? The I'm just trying to the um, for behind the scenes, I guess, you know, the a lot of times, I mean, for bigger events, we actually assign people to that. Um, so we actually, you know, ask them to, uh, um, you know, we have, we have somebody there that's just capturing, but the key for them is to be quiet in the background, um, to make that work. If that's what you're, if, the, if that's what you're actually talking about. Yeah. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah. The behind the scenes things, if you're shooting on a set that's live and operating, you want to be, you want to understand the set dynamics incredibly well because interrupting anything that is mission critical to getting the job done is a no starter. Uh, you also, I would imagine that you want to have something that's agile enough to be able to, uh, grab a mic and get a quick interview or something like that. If you're documenting the actual production build, I mean, you mentioned in there, um, um, time lapse. So that's going to be a fixed position, probably mounted on something with a GoPro to watch a build or something like that. That's pretty well understood, but that's the only thing I can think of that you may be asking for. If we're wrong, let us know. Next question. 
Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Can Nigel diagram is set up? Go ahead, Nigel. My first instinct is to say no, Nigel can't. Um, not that I, I don't want to, I don't know. It's I'm anything you can learn from. I think this came out of a conversation we were having in uh, after hours before the show, uh, following on a conversation we were having last week around how I'm starting to play with some Apple TVs that I had lying around with Sienna and NDIing and using Zoom ISO to NDI um, into the ATEM that way. And I'm not far enough through to document that, but it's, it's I think, a, a more interesting way for me to try and use the uh, Zoom ISO and my ATEM rather than go down the, the deck link, which is financially not something I want to do at this point. Next question. Next one in from Douglas Carmichael. Douglas asks, besides Code with Chris, what iOS development course materials other than WWDC videos would you recommend? I'm looking for courses that don't have a monthly fee. I haven't seen any that have, don't have a monthly fee that have been worth using. <laughs> so so I, I, that's, all I, that's all I can say so far. Usually that's, that's the model that has worked um, because they're kind of putting out content all the time and they need, they need revenue all the time. So the ones that come out, you can, you can look at Udemy, um, Udemy or Udemy um, for some, um, some iOS coding things. Just wait for them to be on sale. Um, a lot of times they're like $90 and then suddenly they're 10. Um, so, so the, that's kind of their business model, but I haven't really seen any other ones. The rest of our courses, um, but I haven't seen ones structured as well as code with Chris other than, I mean, I haven't seen them structured as well. Yeah. And go, Bill. Pretty simple, but would the Swift Playground stuff be any use in terms of people getting up to speed on how iOS development works? I mean, it's, that's what they're working on, and that's what it, it, it's it's got some pieces to it. But but the I think that what Code with Chris does really well is is give you like real world, like you're going to make something, and you're going to have to do all the bits and pieces, and you're going to put it all together. The the I think that the the, the Swift Playgrounds for me. Um, the way it starts just feels a little too much like a little kid's game. And so it's just really hard to, hard to, you know, take it seriously. <laughs> That's the problem. Um, next question. Next question in from uh, Paul Wallace. And I keep skipping over because it used to be Paul Valhus. So my apologies if they're needed. Uh, Paul Wallace from Austin, Texas asked, Facebook meta portal is about to be terminated. How will portal users survive and keep using their portals? Can they survive without Facebook support? Go ahead, John. I would not have a device like that that is no longer supported on my network. I would definitely move on from it. <laughs> I would not, like, like IoT devices are just notorious from having security leaks. If you have something that's no longer being patched, it's just a matter of time before someone's having fun with other electronics within your house and you're using that as a pivot point. Do we know when it's going to be terminated? Um, I think my cost per usage on that was probably about $30 from when I bought it. Cause I only, I have to admit that, um, uh, that I did not leave it on. Like I would turn it on when we were doing stuff and testing it, but I would then turn it off and put it back in the box. Um, go ahead, uh, guy. Yeah. I'm bummed if this is the case because I have, uh, quite a few of these. And one of the best uses that I use it for is, um, there's a, a meeting on Sundays at the Sunday worship place where they had asked for me to record it. And the easiest way, uh, for me to record it was just to drop uh, zoom in there with no video and hit record. And then I get the cloud recording and then it's self-hosted. So instead of coming in there with a mix pre and running a bunch of mics and then having to take the card out and upload it, it was just all done. And so I'm super bummed because I have it in its dedicated Pelican case and 
I've sent one to my mom. My general manager has one. So I mean, all in, all in, I probably have eight or nine out there. So that's really a bummer. If this is the case, I might have to ruffle some feathers uh, up the food chain to let them know that uh, it's still a, a, a usable device. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Serge. I think it's going to be the same as a multiple device that I have that uh, companies stop supported and now I stop using because they don't have software support and don't they don't like Google uh, Stadia. The remote control, the game controller, will not do anything <laughs> until oh. they release something to unlock the Bluetooth. But not sure they will do it. So. Yeah, and it does look like, I mean, scanning through the news, which is a, a little old because this is this is actually, this was announced that they're going to stop making them last June, um, that it is, that they're not making them anymore. They'll sell the ones that they still have and they were still, at least in June, committing to long-term support. So if you still have one, you'd be better off. Go ahead, Peter. Can't hear you, Peter. You just read off what I was about to read off. Oh, yeah. You found the same. You found the Private. same article. <laughs> same article. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, next question. Next one in from Douglas Carmichael. Alex mentioned an event that used the scenario of comms mistakenly routed to the PA as a tool to build audience engagement. What user interface tools could manufacturers use to reduce the risk of operator mistakes in the heat of the moment? I think that's more of a, I don't know if it's a UX tools. It's just being clear. <laughs> Not having a lot of switches that are close to each other that cause. Sometimes you see things where people put like the power button next to the play button or they put something else and you're like, wow, who thought of that? Like definitely not a person that was an operator. <laughs> so, so that, so I think that that's the, um, that's always the challenge is to, is to think about things that go one direction and things that go another and try not to put them right next to each other. Uh, go ahead, uh, Peter. I mean, this is right up there with, I mean, you're right. It's, it's, Think about button placement. I mean, if you read some of the forums out there, there's a lot of complaint on the 810 Mini Pros and, and extremes about the placement of the fade to black button. I was just going to say that. I was going to talk about the fade to black button. There's actually people who print uh, little things that you can get a, they're on Thingiverse yeah. or whatever. You can print a cover for your fade to black that you can then tape over because there's almost... I mean, I almost never use fade to black. The only time I use fade to black is really at the end of the show when we want to fade to... If, I, if I'm on a show, we want to fade to black. But I, I feel like it needs one of those flip ups, you know, like you flip it up, like you're going to launch a missile and you're like, flip it up. Okay, now we're ready to go because we have the the number one problem we've had with a switcher is fade to black. Because what happens, the reason that that's so dangerous is that when you hit fade to black, it will, it will stay there. And no matter what you hit in the rest of the, on the switcher, it just stays on black. It's a, it is excellent at a safety, but just putting it in, oh yeah, we've got another button, like as another button. Like I really feel like the fade to black on the ATEM should be, a, you know, way off on its own and it needs to have those little guards that go next to it so that when you reach down, you can kind of feel them and it should have a little thing that flips up in my opinion. That You don't want to add, you don't want to add the key interlock as well? Yeah, exactly. I think I think you should. <laughs> so that the producer, the director of the show, has to come over and and unlock it. There's a short there for you somewhere two where keys. someone there's like a, there's like two keys and the thing pops open and then you okay, <laughs> uh, end the show. Uh, go, go ahead, Mitchell. It's funny because uh, I used to use an old uh, SSL 4000 console mm -hmm. and it had an auto fade button and uh, that would completely fade everything across the entire board. Yeah. Same thing. It's a, it. I will say it's a great feature to have. 
in that it disables the entire board and it makes, means that you don't have open mics or you don't have open cameras or, you know, there's no way to accidentally get back. So, so I understand why it's there. It just needs more protection over top of it. Go ahead, Tom. I moved the entire unit off the desk because I had a problem with fade to black. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, next question. That would be fade to cat, by the way. Uh, Tony Mobley from Noonan, Georgia is here, and he's on our panel. House of Worship that I'm working with is like to in-person and virtual over the next two years. It's a blank sheet building from ground up. What should be in place? And Tony, I'll let you go first. I listed you second, but go ahead, go ahead and go first. Apologies for, the, I was trying to get it in before we end, went to the second hour. Um, Basically, the church has made the decision that they are now going to look at acquiring a building and they want to do both in-person and um, virtual worship experience. So it's a blank slate there. This is an opportunity to get whatever infrastructure is needed in order to be able to do both the virtual and the in-person. And so I just wanted to see um, what the panel thought might be some good suggestions. Good guy. Yeah, there's a lot of different places to look. There's some House of Worship magazines that I'd start looking at. Um, there's also Jacob, I'll put a link to his channel and in, um, in the chat, but Jacob has some good uh, videos. One of the things that I'd be strongly looking at is the new UE160 uh, PTZ robotic head cameras, because if you do an LED wall or if you do something behind you, you can do these uh, optical low pass filters uh, that reduce moray. So this is something that happens a lot when you get an LED background. So it depends on where you're going to put that crowd. Are you going to put them on just regular Costco 70 inch TVs? We saw this at uh, Zoomtopia and that's, it, it's just, is the pastor going to interact with the with the people from uh, that are afar that are in the, the Zoom meeting? And what happens if they talk? How do you want to handle that feedback uh, in the room? So there's there's a lot of questions, but those two resources, I'll put up um, the House of Worship magazine and, and Jacob's channel as two resources. Go, John. I would say think about uh, producing two different types of events for these people that are watching. So someone could watch along with the live service if they wanted to. But think about like, is there going to be a dedicated space where you produce something for the online audience only? Um, yeah. Think about kind of, uh, yeah, go ahead, Alex. No, no, I agree. And I, and one of the, I've talked to, I've been talking to a couple of house of worship, um, uh, you know, just, they've been asking me for input. And one of the things that, you know, they already have two services, you know, they do one and, you know, at, at an early morning and one that's, that's a little later in the morning. And my argument is, is that you should just do another service that is the online service rather than trying to shoehorn you're already doing two um either push one into the into push the physical into one service and just do a digital service or put the digital service as a third service but the idea is is that really there is a um again with hybrid events you know when we talk to people about it and again i've been working on it for 10 years there's this kind of um emptiness of feeling left out that is in the back end of every hybrid event. There's just like this emptiness of you're sitting in this, looking at this little window and you're not really included. You're a fly on the wall. And it just is, it, 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 it is, um, people will do it because they can't be there. But I think that, I think that you would have a huge step up if you took that service and moved it to a digital service where now the, the, 
you know, you figure out a way that you're going to display the um, the parishioners in front of, you know, display them powerfully in front. Um, and I know that like Blue has been doing some incredible work. I'm trying to get him on to show some of the stuff that he's been doing, but but put them right in front of the um, the the minister or you know um, and 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 actually have them there and really feel like they're connected. I think it's an entirely different experience. And I I in a house of worship specifically, I don't think that it, that it lends itself to a digital first event because you do really want to have that physical experience. You really so I think what I would tend to do is split it. And have an all in in room event and all digital event and just have it be the other service that you do for people who are who are, rather than it's just never going to work <laughs> it's never like you're never going to get the same experience that you could get if they if you were talking directly to that audience i mean if you're a really big you know big church you're if you're a td jakes and you've got you know, big cameras and everything else, but most people just listen to TD Jakes. I mean, I know because my wife listens to TD Jakes a lot. So anyway, um, and so the, uh, so the, if you're a TD Jakes, you know, you can have all these cameras, but it's just a radio show. No one's actually watching, but to have that kind of feel like you're interacting directly. Um, I think that that is a, um, uh, that's a, I think that would be much more powerful for the online audience to have there. The other thing to think about is as you start to, deconstruct, you know, we're talking to a couple house of worships that are deconstructing how they think about it. You're no longer constrained by time and space, which means you can have meetings. You can bring other thought leaders together for a Zoom meeting where they're a panel and they're able to answer questions and they're able to talk about a certain spiritual matter, you know, one at a, you know, and they can come together and answer questions. We're all going to talk about the 10 commandments. And now we're going to, you know, we're talking about the first commandment and there's going to be Q and A and there's a little bit of reading and there's stuff to do and people ask questions and it's a different way to explore it. And I used to do that when you bring people into the church on Wednesday nights or Thursday nights or whatever, but you could be doing that online. And then that changes who can come in and talk about it. It changes who can watch it. And then you really start thinking of your parishioners, not as people that are outside just you know in your geographic area but really just in your spiritual area <laughs> like you know that and 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 i think that that's what you want to keep on doing but that's how i think you can grow it um past what you know where it's sitting go ahead uh t- tony yeah i'm right with you alex i'm right with you um one of the issues that 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 we're having is that the pastor the senior pastor is 93 years old and when COVID hit that basically ended the in-person worship experience. And so because of her age and because of her desire to physically be in a building, that's why all of this conversation um, is And I think that's totally now. valid. Like, I think that's totally valid. I would just think about another, and it may be a, a junior um, uh, minister doing the virtual one, or or maybe not, maybe, maybe you just... The other thing to think about is that a lot of times what we find is that it's people aren't comfortable with it until you really put it in a format that really works for them. So an, a larger, I mean, it's expensive, but a larger LED wall that is putting people in Zoom that they can really see them head and shoulder and really see what's going on. And and part of it also is, you know, talking to some artists, um, part of it is also the parishioners knowing that they need to be on like on, like they would be in the room. A lot of times uh, I was talking to a music artist who didn't want to put Zoom in front of them. And they said, it's because they're doing other things while I'm singing, you know, like, like, you know, and they, they, so the the folks on the other side have to be attentive in the same way they would be if they were in the room. Go ahead, John. I think the um, one thing to consider and make sure that you do is hire an integrator. 
like start speaking to somebody now before you even have the room uh, that will help you make sure you can shape that space to how you want to use it. But I do uh -huh. think that this conversation is useful in, in the sense of thinking about what you want to do, mm -hmm. you know, because, but I think that that, because the integrator will do whatever you ask them to do. <laughs> like they won't, they probably won't think about it in that, in the depth that we're talking about. Um, uh, next question. Jeff we'll Cohen, Miami Beach. Uh, his question, is anyone using Apple shortcuts on Mac for any live or mission critical functions? I use it extensively for personal use and have migrated some Apple script, but it's certainly not bulletproof in my experience. I don't use much automation uh, in real in in production, um, except for the kind of stuff that we're doing for the show. <laughs> you know that, and even then, we've seen it do its own thing every once in a while. Although it's settled in because we're doing it every day. Like if we did, if we did what we're doing for office hours once a week, I don't know if we'd ever end up turning it into production. The reason it's becoming production ready is because we do it every day and see things every day to make it work. Um, next question. Henry Ramos from Yonkers, New York, asking, looking at wireless mic systems, Sony UWP, and would mate nicely with my Sony Hot Shoes, but doesn't show status of transmitter battery. Is this enough reason to look at other brands like Sennheiser? Good guy. Yeah, that Sony system's pretty nice. I have one of them, and it is pretty convenient because the shoe just jumps right on there, and then there's no dangling cable. Um, I would just start with fresh batteries and uh, call it a day. If, if you're in New York, though... Um, you're afraid of getting bid. I would also look at a pair of used uh, Electro and see what you think of, of the Electrosonics because it is way more robust, um, especially the new stuff. If you do a little digging or uh, uh, watch some of the videos from the latest trade shows, you'll see that they've come out with some really interesting stuff. You go ahead, Mitchell. What Guy said, the, uh, the M1 shoe on the top of your Sony, the thing is only about yay big and it pops on there. No wires, no muss, no fuss. All right. We are now uh, changing subjects and talking about second hours. So we, uh, again, we what we're talking about here, to, it's a pretty wide gamut of things that we're looking at. Um, but uh, we're looking at trying to brainstorm on what we want to see in graphics, IT, artists, and audio. So um, in IT, is, you know, it's a bigger, bigger question, but IT, uh, logistics, those types of things, um, what kind of artists do we want to bring in? And these can be creators, these can be artists, these can be people, writers. And then again, as I said, graphics and audio. So, um, so go ahead, uh, Tom. Well, I've been speaking a lot to Josh, Peter, and Jason about the IT council, and I'm trying to focus it in on where we want to go and how we can do a good second hour. I don't want to bore people with IP addressing and subnetting or VLANs. I don't know. Uh, I, I think that, that, that we. I think there's a bunch yeah. of us that need that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's also been a suggestion about, you know, locking down systems and how do you secure confidential content from unintended exposure. But I really need some input from the esteemed panel here today to uh, help focus this. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I just think that, that, the, that IT has become so important to what we do that I think we really have to think about how to, um, I think we have to think about how, how we're going to understand it as, I think almost every user has to now understand what subnets are and what and what the um, and how the IPS are addressed and how the, the internet works because it, it is integral to every piece of machinery I mean I don't buy things that I can't you know I rarely I don't say never but I almost never buy anything that I can't address remotely and and that means that it's got to go over IP which means I have to understand at least some of the IP structures you know go ahead Nigel yeah I guess I have two thoughts first thought is networking 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 
networking, the way we talk. But I would, I'd really like to see us think about going back to the way we did, say, the Raspberry Pi, and do some very basic networking stuff that way. Maybe even do it after hours and record it and then use the office hours to ask questions about it. And I think sometimes when we bring the subjects like IT or networking or stuff into office hours, we, we go from 101 to 501 really quickly. And, and we make a, a huge amount of assumptions about people following us along and asking, understanding the questions. So, and I know people are doing great workshops outside, but we don't always record them then if you miss them. So I think we've got to find a, a midway or a new approach that merges the best of after hours with recording and then use office hours to promote and drive and maybe ask following questions. But I, I also think that we can, I think that again, to your point, I think you can cover things in a lot, like understanding IPs is an hour. It's the second hour. It's not how anything else works. It's not overall networking. It is like understanding how IPs got created, what they mean, you know, understand, you know, like understanding VPNs is a whole second hour, you know, and just understanding that. And that's th three or four in. But I think that to your point, I think that we, I still think that this, there's a value to putting them in to office hours. And I do agree with you that we should do more in after hours as well. But I think that we need to not try to, with all the subjects that we do in the second hour, what I've learned is to not try to pack too much into them. Like we, because number one is once we cover it, once we cover all that ground, it's hard to come back to it three weeks later or a month later because we've already kind of covered it. So it's better to just, we're going to dial into this one thing and just dig in, you know, um, because we're not going to come back to it for a year, you know, and, and then, so we don't want to use up the content either. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. I sit on the uh, the graphics council, and the the challenge is the graphics programs out there are either too big and too deep um, to explain in a one hour session. It might be interesting to show some practical uses of it. Uh, but for example, if you're doing Real Engine or After Effects, you can't you can't cover that in one hour. Um, what you might do is you might show a practical application of it and then go to after hours to do a lab so you can go into great detail. Um, that might that might work well. But there are a, uh, uh, I think there's an interest in lower, uh, and I think one of the questions today kind of pointed that out, um, lower cost, more basic graphics packages like uh, SPX uh, coming out for uh, an add-on uh, for uh, Zoom. That would be really cool. So I think we should bring in uh, uh, Tuomo in to talk about SPX and how that works. That will cover about 80% of what people want to do here on Zoom. Yeah, no, absolutely. Go ahead, Bill. Well, I was also going down the graphics thing, too, and down the type thing. And what I would be interested in is having somebody who's either like an art director or a type designer come in and talk about the aesthetics of type. We've almost never talked about that. Alex Skolner did a little of it when he was talking about how the BBC does things. But seriously, I mean, there's so many typefaces and so many weights and there's so much aesthetics to designing a good screen, specifically when you have the structural constraints of a video raster rather than paper and printing, which is where most of these people came from, that I'd love to have somebody come in and talk to us about what makes a good design and how do you start? What's, you know, what do you think about when you're going to put type on a screen to make it pop for people? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, uh, Guy. Yeah, I'd love to see a little bit more of the voting of some of the past uh, recommendations in the Discord, because right now, um, you know, there's some, but a lot of people aren't going over there and voting and then things that fall off uh, don't get uh, 
you know, bump back up. So I think that there's some suggestions in there that never came to light that uh, were actually good ones. And then also our panelists that are, or our uh, participants that are out there that are producers, excuse me, that are out there that know people, they should uh, suggest them because we have a huge network. I mean, just us that are here on the panel and Josh Kaufman and a few have a, a little network, but the people watching have a much wider network. And there's some people, I mean, I, I could bring in some big guns. Uh, I've been holding back on who, on a couple that we could invite. I'm just waiting for the moment that we start to say that we're, we're stable. We're ready to rock and roll mm -hmm. with some of the, the bigger, the bigger folks. I mean, we've had, a, I, we've had big people, but we can get bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think it's a good time to talk through it. I, I do think that, um, and, and by the way, if you have suggestions, go ahead and throw them into kind of questions because we're, you know, it's easier for us to read them as they, as they come in because we're going to one rather than putting them in necessarily into the chat. Um, the, uh, it is important to put it into the second hour because that is kind of a database. Um, I'm not sure how Josh uses it, but I know that every, every, every week I was going through and, you know, kind of looking at what ideas for, for what those things look like. Um, and so, uh, but I think that that, um, I, I think that we do want to think about those things. I, I think that there are tons of little, I mean, I think an, an hour about a new graphics package. I think SPX is a great example of something we should absolutely cover. Um, but I think that there's also plenty of, um, you know, uh, there's plenty of little applications and it doesn't matter whether we're going to use them. Like I, I do think that we want to talk about practical things, as Mitch said, but I think it'd be good to have EVS in to talk about it. So we understand what the other side of that <laughs> that thing looks like. What having VizRT come in, having, you know, someone from Ross come in and really show us expressions. And and the thing is, is that now the the key there when we do that, the reason that sometimes I go, oh, I don't know if I can do that. We have to be very careful as as the viewers. We have to make sure that we really think through our questions. If we bring on someone from VizRT that we don't ask them like questions that are not elevated, <laughs> you know, like, and so, so I think that one thing, you know, like we just, sometimes we ask some very basic or very, you know, oddball questions that are not in line with that experience. And, and we just have to be, as producers, we have to really think about what that actually looks like. It's, it, 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 you know, we have to also, you know, I think sometimes I have to think through that as well as does, is that going to be something that is even going to land for people? And if they don't understand it, they may ask a lot of questions that for that, brand might feel very basic and and very um again out there and so that's one thing we have to kind of also take into account when we when we bring in some of the some of the brands that we've been talking about go ahead guy yeah that brings up uh it's some of the ces's we've seen where they take the stage there's more like a round robin and i'm sure you've been on these panels alex as well where it's you know people from the industry like graphics industry so now we have four or five people not just visitors or somebody like that it's it, have you thought more about bringing on these guests where it's a panel of experts in this area like 5g or bonding or so we bring it in live view plus tvu and now let them kind of battle and may the best band win and it's like 300 yeah. and <laughs> i hate vendors being on panels like I, i'll just be clear that like i i think that it's really uncomfortable to watch for me and i find that it to be um you know i look for panels um that no one's trying to sell anything you know like they're just trying to have the conversation and there's only a handful of people that i see so if i see certain people on a panel i know that they're not trying to i know that person like if i see Andy Beach on a panel, like he's on a lot of panels. <laughs> Andy, Andy works at Microsoft and he's on a lot of panels. Andy doesn't care. <laughs> like he doesn't care if you use his product or not. Like he, I mean, he, he cares in the sense that he wants to make it better for you, but he doesn't, he's not trying to sell anything. <laughs> and, and, and he's just going to say what there is to say. And he's going to talk to it from his experience. 
I want to try to fill, if we're going to do panels, I want to fill panels with people like that, as opposed to people who are trying to, you know, shill something. And if, if and it's fine if they're going to try to show something, I would just prefer them to do it by themselves, <laughs> you know, like, you know, and, in, in, you know, they're going to show to us what, what they're doing or, or put their product on the best, you know, and, and I, and, and in a perfect world, like one of the things we haven't done yet is get the creator of uh no bomb scope on, you know, part of why I want to bring him on is because he has such great videos on YouTube. Like he just, he's, you can tell he's passionate about, you know, telling us, I think we can get him on to not just talk about his product and really, but to talk about how scopes work, you know, like, like this is what the scope does. This is what this does. And if we can find, if we can kind of frame that for them, I think that'll help a lot as well. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah. There's plenty of videos about demonstrating products and things like that, but not enough that, that help educate our uh, constituency uh, about how to use it. I love that idea of uh, how do scopes work? you know, explaining all the details, because I'll be honest, I need a refresher after all these years. <laughs> the other thing that would be very helpful um, is if you have a great idea, we like the ideas, but it's even better if you have an idea with a suggestion on who should host it or do it. Well, if you can do some of that homework, it'd be great. Yeah. And, and part of it is also that, that, you know, sometimes when people will put up an idea of like, I'd really like to have this person on. Well, I don't know if I can get that person on. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like there's a, there's a limit to what we can do as well. So we want to think through that. Um, I mean, we're getting to a point in the industry where we can, I think that we can get most people on within our industry to come on and, and talk about something or someone from their company to come on and talk about those things. Um, I think we want to kind of keep on trying to, to make that happen. I think from a graphics perspective, I think that, you know, seeing, lots of different versions of graphics, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't matter whether we're going to use it or not. It's mostly a matter of uh, understanding how that works and what's possible. You know, like we may not have a ton of people that are going to, like, I think sometimes we think about, well, it's not, that doesn't apply to me, but it would be great to bring someone in to talk about Nuke, for instance. Nuke is not something that most people here are going to use, but it's, it's, it's good to know that it's out there and to know what it does and to know how it works. Um, the uh, to Guy's point, I've been waiting a little bit. Um, you know, once we stabilize this a little bit, a, a good person to bring on, I think, would be a my old office mate at ILM is um, a guy named Stu Mashwitz. <laughs> Stu and Stu is really uh, Stu's really great guy, and having him break down a shot in After Effects, I think, would be is always fun to watch. Like he's always good at at, at making that that a good time. Um, and again, another person that, you know, he's using After Effects, he's used it for a long time, but he's not trying to sell you on it. He's just talking about the shot and the process of the shot, um, of, of what it looks like. Um, so I think that, you know, finding those, I think that finding leaders in the, uh, you know, in the industry and bringing them on, I think is good. I think that again, I can say as someone who's designing the second hours, one of the things that's really important is that our producers really do their homework and really have great questions. Sometimes we do that really well. And sometimes we're going into a second hour, like you just need to know as a producer, as the person who's working on the show, if I go into, if I have an external guest and I go into the second hour um, with one or two questions about their product or about, about them, I am like, okay, something didn't work here. Like, like literally I just go into it. Like, like this is, you know, and then I'll stretch. You'll see me just ask them lots and lots of questions. And that open will take a, like today, the open took a long time because there wasn't very many questions and not many things in the queue, in the queue. So when you see us stretching for the first, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes, it's largely because the producers haven't thrown very many questions in about that. So I think that one of the things we want to do is you know, on our side, as we get better is to start putting more study aids up, like here's some, 
links to look at, but producers really want to think about literally for the producers, it was one question per person or one question for every three people that are watching. You know, we have all that we need for, you know, so it's just a matter of thinking through that or voting on those and really making sure that there's that you've really done, you know, because we can bring some great people in. And oftentimes it's just this incredible group of questions. Um, but but we want to, you know, it, it, it when we go into a, a, a vacuum, we usually read that as a failure. Like on my end, like when I when I go into the second hour as a vacuum, you probably won't see that subject again um, very soon. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. I've already reached out to uh, Andrew Kramer. If you don't know who he is, he's uh, very well tied to an after effects genius. Um, he does a lot of work with ILM and uh, stuff mm, like that. Great. And I think they would be just an interesting person. I've already talked to his brother and he said, I'll see what I can get going after yep. the holidays. They're pretty busy right now. But sometimes if you got an idea, bring it in with a solution mm. so we can make it happen. Yeah, go, Peter. I guess my, I guess I, something came to my mind a while back. I think it was right at when we were listening to the, uh, looking at the graphics for the election coverage, right? The, what came, what I heard somebody make in passing was you should see what the machine room looks like that supports all this stuff. Now, unfortunately right. that, that, that plays to my, my serious interest, but I don't know how many people here would be interested in that. You know, how do the big, networks actually set their IT environment up to make this happen. Yeah. From an IT perspective, I think that would be a great one is to really talk about the the IT structure. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Tony. Yeah, I just wanted to to add that I think that the that we're doing a great job on Saturdays with the education hour. But I remember that during the pandemic, at the beginning of the pandemic, when Office Hours community was a part of trying to figure out what things needed to be done for the educators, that it was a richer experience, I think, for the educators. And I would, I would hope that, if possible, that we have an experience that would involve all of these great video production, media people, but it would involve things that can be done in the classroom. Um, what it does is it, when you have the educators and the people with all of these technical expertise working together to solve problems and, and to enrich the, um, the educational experience, I think it makes for a better overall um, experience. And then the educators who may not be able to be, participate in the second hour would have the opportunity to watch the office hours experience um, at a later time. Go ahead, uh, Mitchell. And tools that we use on a day-to-day -day basis, things that make us as users of uh, technical gear and uh, software to be better, like a uh, series on uh, NAS storage. I'm just looking over some of our panelists um, have nice, I'm looking, I, I believe I see some Synologies sitting in Tom Ferguson's rack. There's no reason why he couldn't come on and say something about, here's what you need to be able to do a, a massive backup of your uh, graphics files or video files. Let's go ahead and jump into the questions. First question. Question, first one from Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. The new Ecamm update is massive. Can we have them on after the beta goes full release? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Hey, Peter, I think your mic is open. I can hear the clicking. Like it's even when you're, sorry, I'm just, I'm just trying to, <laughs> I was in the chat just going, hey, something's going on. So everyone watch chat. Um, so it's just, it, Peter, even when you're not speaking, it's it's adding this little uh, noise to it. So um, the, um, uh, I think that the ECAM would be great to have on. And in any of those, uh, Memo Live, when they have a release, uh, ECAM, those are all, I think, gimmies, you know, to, to, to bring on to the show. So, um, so yeah, uh, please, uh, uh, let's reach out to them. I, I think we have some people that know them pretty well. <laughs> so I think that, uh, having them on would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Next question. Tony Mobley, Noonan, Georgia here on the panel. We should have Michael Forrest come back to give us an update on improvements of the video pencil for educators. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. We can either put it in the education hour or in one of the weekdays. Um, I think that the video pencil uh, just got released and I think it'd be great for him to kind of outline uh, how it works and, and uh, yeah, make, make, make sure that that works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next question. Shane Smith in Winter Garden, Florida. Does anyone have any experience with the California OSHA, OSHA AB1775? I'm trying to understand compliance for short-term corporate events, broadcast tours, et cetera. And I think that dealing with some of these laws... Um, you know, I think makes sense, um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, looking at, uh, this is the California live events safety law. And, um, you know, and I don't know exactly. It's interesting that they, I guess they, this is a, yeah, we probably ought to talk about it. Um, you know, basically this law, I'm just reading off of the, <laughs> reading off of something that it require it's, it, it's requires employees involved in setting up operation or tearing down of a live event at a public events venue for an entertainment event vendor to have compiled with specific training certification workforce requirements. Yeah. I mean, and these things are, you know, these things are moving. There's enough of us in California that I think it'd be, you know, interesting. Uh, it sounds like uh, someone visited uh, Australia. <laughs> so, so I'm sorry. Like it's the, in Australia, when we go there, we have to take, this, we have to do the, we have to read this whole thing and take this little test and then we have to wear a jacket and, and everything else. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's like a little, like, like one of those little hazard jackets. <laughs> we, we, we all think it's funny. So I guess California is going to take on them being more Australian. Uh, go ahead, Bill. Well, it's going to be there for people who are doing uh, anything that's involved with the government or a public facility, like a big convention center or something like that requires, I think, 10 hours of training to get a certification that you know how to safely operate something Whoa. like that. Does that mean everybody in there that everybody has to have 10 hours of training to work in the public in, a, in the in Moscone? I, I think so. I think wow. if you don't have certification, you can't be on a crew there. I would imagine the certification okay. will probably be relatively inexpensive and 10 hours mm. isn't that much. And they'll probably do it like the driver's license training where you go online and get your certificate. Mm. That's my guess, because there's a lot of people in California that works in the entertainment industry, and this will be a big deal. But there, we've seen a lot of people get hurt. And we all know because we've been in production that mm. when the knucklehead falls off the ladder because they're aiming the lights and don't know what they're doing is a thing. Let's go to the next question. All right, James Hutchinson from Dublin, Ireland asks, leading on from Guy's point, maybe once a week have five minutes to talk about the second hour leaderboard on Discord and highlight new items added to the list. This could encourage people to vote on second hour ideas. Go ahead, Guy. Yeah, I love that idea. I think also in the email that goes out, we might want to put a link to that Discord and the running and just say, hey, do you have a 
recommendation for a topic or a guest that you would recommend, drop it in the Discord, we'll vote on it. But different things pop up at different times for different people because like green screen may be relevant for you at one point in time when your boss says, hey, you know, we're doing this project's coming and now all of a sudden that's a relevant topic for you. So I think the voting is very democratic where it says, hey, do you guys really want to hear this guest that comes on or this topic? Like some people may be like... Uh, that geeky stuff about VLANs. I'm not interested. I love NDI. I love SRT. You guys may be like, well, we like green screen more than your SRT. So we win and we're going to have this guest on or this topic's going up. So it's 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 fair well, unless we are fighting a schedule for a, a guest that has only a certain date. Yeah. And I think that most of the time we're, we're really going to start scheduling pretty far out. Like I'm, I'm leaning on Josh to um, really think about the next, you know, um, two months, but I'm, starting about January 15th, I'm working on that right now <laughs> to help Josh, you know, out and, and, and really thinking about like, after we get out of CES and after we get, you know, after we a week of recovery, what do we want to do? You know, like, you know, and, and, and so I've been thinking through that. And so while Josh is kind of managing the kind of putting out the fires between now and then and getting those done, I'm also trying to help him by really thinking about how do we, you know, some these kind of conversations happen. And so I think that it, it'll be very rare there's going to be some point where we are months in advance, you know, like we are, you know, like we're booking out, you know, one or two months. So there won't be that, that kind of quick turn that we have right now of, Oh, let's put something in for next week or the week after we may leave a day open for wild cards, you know, for releases. But for the most part, I think that the structure is going to get pretty, pretty far out, um, you know, to, to manage that. And, and the, um, uh, but I do think that when you vote on it, it tells us that more than one person wants to know that <laughs> like it's the votes are, are not ignored. Like you just need to know that the votes inside of, of the second hour suggestions inside of discord are, if I see nine or 10 votes on something, I'm like, Oh, we better, better cover that. You know? So, so you want to definitely um, take, take that very seriously because if, if something doesn't get any votes or gets one vote, you know, it's not that it's a good idea. And when we're looking at ideas and trying to drum stuff up, I think that that is something that is, um, it's, it's, it's inter interesting to us. Um, and we we're still looking for ideas, but if something's getting eight or nine or 10 votes, that definitely looks, uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, it looks, it looks much more important to us. Next question. Josh Kaufman from Pittsburgh PA asks, what are good topics to include homework provided ahead of time in the email to prepare our producers with context? Uh, I would say every topic, like every topic. I mean, eventually what we want to do, if we're especially when we're working with the, the councils for each one of these, is we figure out what that subject is. And I think that it should have multiple links, you know, that are like, these are, these, here's a YouTube channel. Here's some, a Wikipedia page. Here's a, like just putting two, three, four um, subject, you know, it could be the link to the, you know, obviously to the product, if it's a product, but if it's an idea, I think that there's almost, there's very few things we cover that don't have some coverage on the internet. The idea though, is to curate that so that someone's not like having to Google search themselves and that we all kind of look at a couple things that that would be interesting so that we have an idea of what we're about to walk into. And so I think that, you know, us finding that, and, you know, maybe there's people that are interested that aren't interested in working on the live event, don't have the technical to do the background, but back end, but want to, contribute to the show might want to reach out to Josh and maybe there's some people that are doing research, you know, they're going to look at what these things are in the future and then start stacking up. Oh, here's a bunch of links. Now we don't want to put eight links or 10 links out there. We want to collate that down to three or four links at most of just here's some stuff for the producers to look at before the show. And I will say that it, the more producers do that, the more 
valuable that second hour will be. And for the people who do that research, the more valuable it'll be for them. You know, like if they, if they do a little bit of research and contextually understand what they're looking at, and this is not, it should, it should be something when we look at it, it should take 10 or 15 minutes for someone to look at it at lunch or, or whatever, just to get an idea of what's coming up tomorrow and get their, their thought process going. You know, I think, it, I think it'll be very valuable. Um, next question. From Douglas Carmichael, Mitchell, me, what would you think of Jalad Karen and Myra Shashua from Waves as a second hour? I go ahead, Mitchell. I know um, Jalad very well, um, and I'm sure he'd be very up for it. I don't know Meyer. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing the name correctly, uh, but uh, Jalad is the uh, the head guy. So uh, why not? Let's uh, yeah. let's bring him on board. Love to have him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next question. Josh Kaufman from Pittsburgh, PA. Just a comment, since there are no representatives from the Artists Council on the panel today, this council focuses on the experiences and challenges of creators and performers. As with all of the councils, there is a lot of overlap. Yeah, the I mean, I think that we have, I've got a lot of ideas for some creators, um, and, but definitely if, you, if there's one specifically that you're interested in, let us know. Um, we do have, uh, we're working out, um, and I don't know exactly when or how we'll do it, um, you know, but the, we are working out um, uh, to uh, occasionally, we started using the pit down in, in, at, at ILM and, and you know, we, we might be able to have some in there and some people coming in from home. I'm also working on a kit to send out to some of these creators so that they really have something that looks as good as it can when we bring on, especially some folks that, some of the folks that aren't, aren't quite as well equipped. Um, to make that actually happen. Um, and I think that that can be a wide range of things. I think when we think about creators and performers, we can think about musicians and actors, but also artists that are doing 2D or even graphics. Um, we can talk about, you know, um, writers, um, you know, and conceptual things as well. So so I think that we want to kind of keep that that pretty broad. Um, but, but definitely, if you have ideas in those areas, let us know. Um, next question. From Hashid Trivedi in Daytona Beach, Florida, and here in our panel, could we potentially do a lab on making Ethernet cables and the tools required? We can, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> I, I hate making Ethernet cables. I love making lots of cables. Like I love, there's nothing better than getting a good book and listening to it and just making SDI cables and 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 uh, and XLR cables just sitting there. Just I I I, I used to spend all day soldering. Uh, uh, DB 25s. <laughs> so, so like just getting into a zone of, 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 uh, doing that, um, would be, would be a lot of fun to, to talk about those ethernet cables. I find to just be the most insanely frustrating, um, cables. The only thing worse than ethernet cables are like the DIN, the little DIN cables that you, for SDI, for SDI, <laughs> those are really frustrating as well. I, I don't, I've actually never been successful at them. They're so frustrating. More pins so, is not more better. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, um, uh, so anyway, so I, I think that it's just that it, it's the nature of the cables that just, and, and the, the twisty and, and, and I am, uh, yeah. So it's just, it, I don't, I don't enjoy it, but, but we can definitely do, I don't think we would do a second hour on it. I think we'd probably do a lab on it. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, if somebody had a box that you just put the wire in it and push a button and it goes, and it's yeah, done. Exactly. That would be worth showing. There's a box like that. I call it Mono Price. Like it's a it's a box that comes up with has lots of different lengths, and I and I and when I put I I put money into the box, and two days later the box generates all the lengths that I need. <laughs> you know, so not, and I just go, oh, okay. So anyway, but we we should do a lab. I think a lab would be great. I think a lab on SDI a lab on Ethernet, a lab on XLR, all would be a lot of fun to, to do. Uh, next question. 
Douglas Carmichael is back. What about some cross-industry second hours like bringing in someone from NASA or SpaceX to talk about effective use of comms and lessons learned? It could be. You know, I, I don't, I will say that I, uh, it'd be interesting. I don't know if NASA, for instance, really has lessons learned as opposed to just the way that they do it. And they've been doing it the same way for so long that I don't know if they would really have any horror stories or anything that worked or didn't work. Um, you know, they, uh, except for one, they did one with me and I, I lost comms and, and, and they were so calm, you know? And so, uh, but, but, uh, uh, but I think that that would be the thing to think about. Yeah. Go ahead, Peter. Well, I, I, I seem to recall in the early parts of off, uh, office hours, we had somebody on talking about the camera systems that used during launch. Yeah, the during launch. It wasn't. It wasn't from NASA or SpaceX. It was the uh, camera. The the team that manages the cameras for Blue Origin. Right. And I just I just remembered that is, yeah. and so it might be interesting to revisit that, considering they just announced changed. that the, the the Artemis, well, the Artemis launch, apparently caused more destruction than they had planned. No, <laughs> that's funny. When does it reach? When does it reach its goal? I think well, it's at the moon now. It's at, it's at the moon now. Right. No, right. December fourth, I think it comes back. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It routes back on December fourth. They'll do the retrograde burn December fourth and head back. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, the Artemis has um, recycled uh, shuttle engines on. I think it's got like a couple of shuttles engines on there and some other stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, I think an hour on the Quindar tone would be an interesting. Quindar tone? The Quindar tone is the thing you hear uh, back in the old uh, time Apollo missions where it went beep, beep, every time they key the mic. Yeah, a very specific uh, thing that's got tech specs. Probably got a whole thick book on it. Next question. Next question from Hershey Trevetti in Daytona Beach and here on the panel. I heard a lot of questions about captioning and also recently saw an audio description bit on 20 Hertz podcast who brought in Roy Samuelson. How about inviting experts in this area to understand the hardware and software end of this process of 11 years? I guess that's 11 years. Um, yeah, I think I think it would be uh, uh, it'd be good to have them on. I think having more stuff around uh, both captioning, um, voice description, and I actually know a ton of people that can do that. <laughs> I do a lot of that, so let me let me think about how we bring bring more people in on that. I think that talking about that. Um, pretty pretty regularly would be useful. And I think there's a lot of different subjects there. It's great. Uh, next question. Chris Widener from Lafayette, Indiana. Council of it, Council of Artists. I felt like I've missed something as the structure of office hours has evolved. Can we do a second hour on the behind the scenes evolution of office hours with maybe an org chart? <laughs> we, we try to put together an org chart. I don't know even know if I know what the org chart is, but but we can we can definitely. I've delegated it so effectively that I'm like, well, I know that I know the, the, the certain people to talk to about certain things, uh, but we, we should try to think about that. Yeah. But if you're interested in that, uh, Josh is really heading up the second hours. And so, so if you are interested in being part of the folks that are trying to figure out what to do on each second hour, uh, definitely reach out to Josh, Josh Kaufman. Uh, next question. Jeff Cohen, Miami Beach, Florida, and uh, occasionally here on our panel, he would be interested to get Descript to demo their flagship product but I'd say only if they're willing to answer questions about their, in my humble opinion, questionable practices with their voice cloning system called Overdub. Sure. So here's what I'll say about that. Um, 
we are not really the press. Like we are here to gather information from folks. They're going to show their their stuff. Um, do not corner people. Like on that, if we put them on second hours, like do not try to corner them. Just ask them how it works. We're asking them how it works. We can make our decisions later. But but we the problem is is that if you start cornering people about something that you don't agree with, look, we just want to know about their product. Like we don't have to sit there and and try to uh, you know try to you know catch them on like that something that we don't agree with. That's not second hour is not the place for that. <laughs> like just just so you know, it's like if we if we do that a lot with with vendors, other vendors won't show up. You know, like they won't, they won't, they'll see that as an example and they're like, oh, I'm not going there. You know, we don't want it to be, you know, like the White House press press corps looking for, you know, things to catch people. We just want to know more information about the thing. If you don't agree with Overdub, then, you know, uh, then don't, don't be on the council. Don't be on the, on the panel. <laughs> like, that's what I would say is like, like, if you don't agree with something that they're doing, this isn't the place to do that. It's just a matter of, it's a, it's an exploratory um discussion with them it's not a heated discussion about about whether they they do what they're doing about why they're doing what they're doing because the reality is is what they're doing with overdub is going to be the future and there's nothing to stop it so there's no reason to argue about it with them because you know that is going to happen everywhere um so it's it's kind of it just it doesn't put us in the best light because we're defending something that is the you know that isn't that there's no there's no way to to stop that like I'm just letting you know, like I, I have to say that I, I just from AI, the AI perspective, you know, like Mid Journey went to version four, and I'm like, I go wow, like it just you know, so AI is coming, and you just have to figure out how you're gonna, how we're gonna live with that. So figuring out how it works, and talking to them about what it does, and talking about where it works and where it doesn't work, all those things are great, but trying to like argue with them about whether it should exist or not is not not the position that we want to be in. Um, next question. It's from Talalik uh, Lopez Waterman, and uh, he's in New Mexico. Are second-hour topics that are more specific interesting to people? For example, stage automation. We may not use it in our own home studio, but still super cool. Absolutely. I think those are some of the most interesting ones that we do. Is And again, this is where the study aids become important that we send out. Is we will actually see what it actually is. Because we may bring in things that are obscure, and I think we could do a lot more of that, of bringing obscure subject matters into the into the pipeline so that we understand it. It just makes us wiser and it makes us understand more of those things and how they work. Um, and, and, and they should be intellectually interesting. And I think that we could definitely bring in more subjects that are, but again, what it leans on is the producers on especially ones that are more, um, producers that are more, uh, that, you know, on a subject that you don't know as well as doing a little bit more work and making sure that there's questions for us to, because when, when we st decide we're not going to do something again, it's usually because we got to the top of the hour and there were zero questions. And then we got 10 minutes in and there were four, like that, that whole branch of whatever that was, <laughs> I, I go, well, that's not a good, that we're not going to go there again. So, so the, um, so it's really, and when we get into things that are more obscure, it's really important for producers to not only ask questions, but really thoughtful questions that are going to drive that conversation forward. Um, next question. From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking, how about an hour on the Tula mic? Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, the mic is cool looking. Um, I'm not sure how it sounds because Paul has a unique way of configuring it, but um, uh, it's like a lot of devices that are out there or pieces of software. Um, some of these are uh, worth bringing people in, but maybe we need to do a little more research before you vet them. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, again, bringing in different mic manufacturers, talking about, because I think that, you know, regardless of what you think of a sp- specific mic or use, the the interesting thing is, is looking at like, why did they do that? And what is the process? And there's so much we can learn about mics by talking to a mic manufacturer that doesn't, you know, again, but that leans on us as the, you know, the group to make sure that we're prepared studied and ready to ask those questions effectively. It, it really does. It's why we call the producers, the producers is we really lean on them to help move that conversation forward. Um, next question. Next question from Hashid Trevetti in Daytona Beach. Could we consider playing music for the outro the other day? It was fantastic. Maybe. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. It was, maybe. Maybe. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, next question. Harshid is back again with a question for the art bit. Can we talk about the various software choices and why one might choose one over the other? For example, Photoshop versus something else for graphics. Yeah, I think a general discussion among, and that one probably doesn't even need to be vendors. That's just us, you know, and I think we want to mix and match that too. People coming in from the external and then also ones that are just us talking about things. The other thing I want to say is that what we want to be careful of also in the second hours is that we have ones that are, internal discussions about stuff. And I, I don't know how we say that, but if we have a guest coming in, the second hours are really about the guest, you know, and not, uh, not us, not our opinions. <laughs> you know, like the, the being on the panel is the opportunity. If we ask a question, we can elaborate that question, you know, because we're on the panel, but, but we should try to refrain from providing our own opinion during a third party guest, you know, there we just want, it's really about them at that point. Go ahead, Mitchell. What you just said, because we did a uh, a segment on uh, voiceover people, and I was so you know I, I so wanted to get in and uh, and talk about what I do mm-hmm. as as a voiceover person, but um, I quickly realized that no, this isn't about, about me. Them. People see me every day. This is the people that are coming in. Exactly, exactly. So we really want it to be about the guests that are that are there. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael asked, what would you think of a second hour on Python development and how it could be used in our industry? Resolve as a Python API. I think it'd be great. I think I think there's definitely a, a day that we could talk about Python or Swift or, or coding languages in general. Um, you know, I think that doing something really useful with Python would probably take a lab, you know, but, that, but I think that, that could be useful as well. Um, next question. Douglas in again with a question. We talk about having difficult conversations, but what about building cohesive teams and reducing the risk of conflict? Yeah, I think that would be, um, te- I think we've talked a little bit about that in the past. I mean, in, in specific areas, but but I think that uh, team building could be uh, could be a good good subject matter to cover. Absolutely. All right. We are, uh, we have, we've run to the end of the questions from, oh, we got one more, one more rolling in. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, uh, next question. Here it is from Guy Cochran in Seattle and here on our panel. How about a second hour live tour of a facility? I'd love to do lots of those. <laughs> so I think that live tours of a facility would be good. There's a um, a uh, facility down in Los Angeles that I am I may try to get us into that's pretty cool. Um, and so I just have to get all the, and, and it wouldn't be very hard to set up. I just have to, have to figure out some of the wireless stuff. The facility is so large. I kind of have to figure out where to go with all of those things. Yeah, go ahead, guys. That wouldn't be ILM, would it? No, uh, no. It's a different, different one, but that's not yeah. a bad idea. Okay. Yeah, ILM would be a cool one, but there there is a bunch of uh, paperwork you got to sign before you can get in there because I've done that mm-hmm. one. Um, 
Yeah, there's various newsrooms. I don't know. I, I had suggested this as a, in a second hour, and uh, Josh said, "Do you know anybody?" And I, I do know a couple of people in San Diego that I, I just need to ask them see if we can actually get in there. But there's something about this. You never know what's going to happen. This kind of unexpected, like uh, especially if the viewers drive the show and they they make us turn turn and go somewhere else. So now all of a sudden it's like, whoa! Like you just caused the show to jump that way instead of that way. We were on this course, and it just makes it more exciting. So I'd love some of that. Uh, well prepare to fail because the, obviously when you're torn around, sometimes you're just cellular versus hopping wi Wi-Fi hotspots. Because at the beginning of the pandemic, Josh, John Idelson had suggested a tour of the, the DV store and I was all up for it and it got like nine, 10 votes, but we never did it. And I was planning the the hotspot jumping and then fail over. And it, it's just, it, it's a thing, you know, it is, it is, because uh, when you're live, it's like, what do you do if you, if you drop yeah. your signal? And that gets back to probably that got a bunch of votes because, and it was right when I'm in the middle of a heavy production when I was still managing it and probably just didn't even see it <laughs> like go by, you know, like, and there's probably a lot of other things that happened around it. Um, and so uh, I think I would love to do a tour of DB store. So, so I think that we should, we should absolutely do that. So um, let's, let's try to get that back on the hopper. Go ahead, Peter. Well, I was thinking about Guy's comment about he's tried, he's done that tour of ILM and all the paperwork you have to sign. I know is when we when I worked for the IBM company, we ran the the data centers for the Walt Disney Company. Uh, I will I will tell you, yes, it's even worse when you're a contractor yeah. and you work there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, the um, and I think that uh, a lot of folks don't want us to show stuff, but I think that there's quite a few facilities. I mean, I think one that would be kind of fun would be the one that's uh, like the. C building and the model, the like we could probably get some of the guys from the model shop from my the the old ILM model shop. That's probably a whole hour. <laughs> you know, that we just talk about that, and so we we might want to. I'll talk to the I'll talk to some of the guys over there and see if we can't um, design a walk through there. Um, and so that that might be a cool one. Um, one of the things that I've been trying to do with some of those is um, if we can get 4K working. The idea is that if you're watching the 4K version of it, that you see. You know, if you're watching the YouTube version, you're seeing the 4K HDR version of what we're shooting. Um, and I kind of wanted to use that tour. The reason we haven't done it up until now is that I kind of want, I'm waiting for a bunch of pieces to all come together so that I can do it with at that level. But but I think that in general, um, you know, because we have the live, you come back, feedback in for the panelists. But for people watching the YouTube channel, you would see the 4K you know, version of it, you know, from, from a live view, you know, for instance, um, or from, you know, even, even a, just a 10 bit transmission. So, so we're working on some of those things to try to try to figure that out. Um, uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael is back. What would you think of a second hour about healthy habits in the field and basic safe production practices? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've had ones about food. I was thinking healthy eating habits. <laughs> So we've talked about those. Lots of nuts and power bars. Uh, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, when are we going to get your wife on to teach us some yoga? Come on. Not my wife. She doesn't do yoga. She's oh, she just is in charge. Well, she could still set up the show and show us some healthy habits of uh, what we could be doing on on. Uh, we might be able to get her on to talk about how she runs Zoom. She she knows Zoom meetings better, probably better than I do. She she you know that's all that's what she does is run. It's funny that I do this and then she actually runs like Zoom like Zoom meetings like all the time. That's what she does for lots of people. So it'd be interesting to talk about her her process there. We'll see if we can get her on. My brother's wife does. Uh, yoga over zoom so we could have her talk about her process i don't think it's changed much since he started since covid started i think it um and now they live somewhere where it would be impossible for her to do them in person <laughs> because they're they're way up in the mountains out you know on the shore and you know it's i don't think that you know that's a possibility now 
Yeah, it would be cool to get some. Uh, a lot of us are sitting in in chairs all day. It would be nice to get some of these uh, just basic. You know, exercises. Jill would be really good at that. My brother's wife would be really good at talking about exercises that we could do while we were working. I'll talk to I'll talk to Jill about that. I'll talk to my brother and Jill about that because I know that he 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 said it made a huge difference. He's a Steadicam operator, and he said you know all of the yoga stretching and all the other things is part of what keeps him nimble because you know he has to be really careful about his back and you know everything else to to do that. Yeah, I thought I was going to be retired as a camera operator when I was asked to jump over one of those, you know, those metal gates that uh, are in front of a stage and they're yelling in comms, jump over the gate, jump over the gate. And I'm like, I can't, this thing's like, you know, this camera is yeah. full shoulder mounted. But then I started practicing at uh, the local high schools right next to me. And I started just pretend like I had the big camera and jumping over the gate, jumping over the gate. And now I can jump the gate, I'm not retiring. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> next question. From Harshid Trivedi in Daytona Beach. Any other conferences we should consider? I heard there was an event with regards to amusement park rides, which involves engineering and at its best. I do think we need to, um, you know, figure out what we what we want to cover. I think we need to figure it out. We probably should have a second hour, maybe even next week or the week after, where we look at the 2023 and people put up suggestions and we talk through ones that we might want to cover. Because I think that we got a couple of them that were kind of close together and we ended up just not doing as much as we planned to do because IBC took up a huge amount of energy and then, you know, we didn't go any further from, you know, for the other ones. And so I think that we want to um, think about that. I think that there could be an opportunity to cover CES. Um, there's a, I have to admit with CES, I think that what I would probably do is do most of the the hard coverage at CES Unveiled and Showstoppers and, you know, you know those things in the evenings. And then I would... Um, just kind of show the experience of CES on the floor. I don't think I would try to cover anything on the floor because you can get, we could fill all the content, you know, in just those nightly press events. Um, you know, I find those, that's where I get most of the information that I use, you know, for CES. And so, except we, we have to go to the little, the, 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 the China village. I know that, I know that China's having a hard time, but that you get to watch the future. <laughs> it's all these things that they're trying to find somebody to buy, you know, buy into. And that's, it's always a fun one to go to. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael asks, what would you think of a second hour about Mac automation, Alfred, keyboard maestro, et cetera? We can find the right people that use it a lot. Totally open to talking about Mac automation. And I would love to just do a whole one on Mac on Apple shortcuts. <laughs> you know, like I don't, I think I only use them in a very tangential way. So it'd be really interesting to, to, to talk about that a little bit. Uh, next question. Arshid Trivedi from Daytona Beach, Florida, here on our panel. Do we want to have a subject on project management? Absolutely. You know, we could talk, talk through that and try to, we just have to find out who we're going to bring in to talk about that. Uh, next question. Jeff Cohen in Miami Beach, Florida, referencing Descript. I agree 100% and wasn't implying we should ever ambush a guest or hit them with gotcha questions. To your point, though, Overdub, I think we're uniquely equipped to professionally ask questions about their products and let them answer. Yeah, we just have to be very careful about that conversation. And Jeff, it's a good point. You're making a good point there. And, and I think that but I think that we need to be really careful about not having them feel like they're getting backed into a corner and we're just open to it, you know, and, and we're just having those questions. But we just have to be very, very careful that we don't do things that scare off other vendors. <laughs> you know, like, oh, that's not a safe place to go. We want people to be excited, like this is just a great place to, um, you know, go and show what you're doing. Um, and I just, we just want to be super, like, careful about that. And we'll probably be more aggressive as a, 
um, when we're managing questions, if we feel like it's not going to work out, we're probably going to kick those questions back. We haven't been doing that as much in the past, but we're probably going to get more aggressive about it as we move forward. Next question. From Talalik Lopez Waterman in New Mexico, maybe a prominent DP and steady cam op. <laughs> He's talking about my brother. Um, yeah. So my brother and I have been talking about it. The, the only thing that's missing right now He's on a film now, so he he was, um, but he's working on a film in LA. So I don't know when he. I'm going to find out when he gets back. It was mostly me figuring out all the wireless transmissions, so the wireless lens controls and the wire. He's got the steady cam. He's got a regular steady cam rig, and then he has a steady cam rig with a um, Trinity rig, a Trinity head. You know, and and what we wanted to do is set something up on the stage where we could show you why a Trinity head is different than a than a regular head, and then but then I had to figure out what wireless controllers to use and I just don't have them. And so and he doesn't have them. They get rented when he does them. And so one of the things I'm looking at is when he comes back talking to some of the rental company rental houses that we work with, seeing if they'll just lend them to us or or if we can get get some other stuff from some folks. And so we're working on that. Um it's not he's been interested in doing it. It's been mostly um me not having all the pieces and I we're only going to get them on once. You know, like he's just, he's really busy. So I just want to make sure that I have all the bits and pieces to, to make, take full advantage of that, that hour. Um, next question. From Douglas Carmichael. What would you think of a second hour on basic lighting programming, like Grand May MA3, et cetera, EOS, et cetera? Yeah, I'd love to do that. Love to talk about that. Um, you know, so I think we don't talk about lighting control enough um, in general. Um, so I think that we've, we've had like a discussion about DMX, but we could do a lot more. We have an, a discussion about these things. And I think that um, bringing some experts in and, and um, lining that up would be excellent. Um, next question. Next one is for me. How about a camera rental shop? Yeah, go ahead, Mitch. I have a uh, business partner. He uh, runs a uh, camera rental shop in Philadelphia. They've got everything. It would just be interesting to see the full range of stuff from Airy through Sony to yeah. uh, Red, everything, and talk about them. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, you know, one of the ones that is one of my favorites here in San Francisco is VideoFax, and and um, they're just great folks. <laughs> you know, it'd be really fun to have either the ones in Philadelphia or VideoFax or both of them. I think we'd probably have one or the other. I, I would want to make it more of a tour. Uh, it is fascinating when you go there to, I haven't actually, video facts now has moved twice <laughs> since I've been to the, you know, I've always sent someone to pick things up. So it's been a long time since I personally went to pick up a gear from them. And so I, I'm curious what it looks like. Go ahead, uh, Bill. I think there's a lot of plus to that, particularly what are the trends? I mean, what are people renting now versus what they rented five years ago? That will tell you some of where production is going. Uh, the downside to it, of course, is usually those are geographic places. And while we can learn about the equipment that that rental house has, um, you may or may not have access to that depending yeah, on where you live. I, but I will say that I think that it, a lot of the rental houses are are somewhat similar. Um, they are, uh, you know, I, I think that it's more of, what I think would be useful is to talk more to a rental house about the business of a rental house and where they're coming from and what makes you a good customer and what makes you a bad customer and and what they need from you and what they like to see and what they don't like to see and you know those kinds of things and 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 how they set those things up. I think that would be really really useful. Um, go ahead, guy. 
Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Mitch, especially uh, just the process for a lot of folks that have never rented something that's high end like that before you. You don't want to get surprised right before a gig where they're like, hey, we need your certificate certificate of insurance. And you're like, oh, let me call my guy. And then he's on vacation or whatever. And now you can't get it and you have to have somebody else do it. So it, it can be a big rigmarole. So being able to see uh, the process and then also the process of them in uh, taking something back in and how it gets tested and calibrated. I'd love to see all that because they have some really cool charts that they set up the lenses and how they, how they clean the sensors. I mean, there's so many cool things behind the scenes in a rental house. Yeah, it'd be fun to go to Panavision at some point. Panavision's down in north of north uh, north of, of LA. And um, I've shot some stuff there, but when you go through their prep area, you know, because when you're renting from Panavision, you've got, uh, you know, folks that are showing up on site with that camera and they're, they're spending a whole day, sometimes a couple of days, getting it all rigged up, getting, you know, making sure that everything's working, calibrating everything. And it's all getting done the day before, two days before the you take it out. And um, and so it's and sometimes more than that. If there's a lot of cameras, it might be a week or two of them, of them sitting there working through those cameras. And they've got these big, um, like each camera has like a, probably a, I want to say a, if I, I and my memory of it is it was about t eight feet wide and about 15 feet deep for every camera with those big charts that they kind of have an area that they're working with every camera. I think that seeing that and seeing how it works would be would be interesting. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Mitch. Uh, Bill, to answer your question right now, uh, in Philadelphia, the uh, LF, the Airy LF is the hot setup. I think they have like five of them, and M. Night Shyamalan came and took them all. Yeah, that's the funny thing is that you rent like I had when that 950, the 950 that you see right right there. I got this call of like, you know, like, hey, are you interested in renting your 950? And I was like, but where is it going? They're like Brazil. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> like you know, and it, it was because they were doing a 3D Rolling Stones. I think it was Rolling Stones. So they needed I think it was like 24 of them matching you know, matching 950s to to do that. And and so they got all of Abel Cine and then they got all of, you know, like they, like all of, they just reached out to every person that had a 950 that wasn't, you know, a facility. And there weren't that many at the time. And so I said, no, <laughs> like, I'm not sending my, like, there's been a, a couple rentals that I, you know, I, I like my, I like the camera to be in a nice, safe environment. You know, I spent a lot of money on it. So, um, so I was like, I'm not going to give it to somebody else. So, um, anyway, so, but, but that's, yeah, you see those things where they kind of clear out the, a big, a big film can sometimes just clear out the whole system. You should right. see what some of these cameras look like when they come back from the field. Yeah, that's why I don't, it's, it's atrocious. I don't rent my camera out. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, all right. That was good. That was a good second hour um, talking about those. We'll brainstorm those. I think we're going to do those more often just to keep keep our finger on the pulse of what's working, not working, especially as we start to accelerate. So um, so hopefully we'll do that about once a month. We'll um, you know, have have that discussion. I think it's a useful discussion for us to keep on checking in and talking about those what what we, what, what we want to see in those second hours. So uh, so stay tuned for more of those. Um, thank you so much to the producers for questions. Um, that <laughs> was funny. I, if you haven't noticed, I have so a little little backstory for you. Um, once we pass eight thirty five Pacific Standard Time, as far as I'm concerned, the event the morning is complete. So I will not warn you 
that we're running out of questions. <laughs> like, like, like it's as the producers, it's your job to see how many questions there are in the queue and where they are and everything else. I am not going to talk about it anymore. So we'll push if we're running out and it's 825 or 830 for whatever reason, I might tell you, hey, we're getting a little bit low and we may want to, um, you know, if, if you're in and, and really that there's an opportunity for you to throw them in, but I don't, I don't need to go for a second hour. And so, um, so I won't, once we get to 835, I won't ever remind you that we're, that we're lower on questions. So as a, so we almost, I was ready to answer the last question at whatever, 840. Um, and so, uh, but just know that, that I'm not, I won't manage it after that. So, so anyway, so, but then the, then the, then the producers saw that we were running out. Suddenly there's the typical flow of questions all came in, but uh, anyway, no, but thank you so much for all the great questions and keeping the conversation forward. And thanks to the panelists uh, for having, of course, being here for every day. Um, and, uh, and it was a good conversation today. Great, a great collection of folks today um, as always, but, but today was a great, great one. Uh, good, good conversation in the front, in the front hour. And um, of course, uh, thanks to the incredible back end that is, uh, always doing this. I was going to talk about something there, but my, my little frame disappeared anyway. Um, but anyway, thanks, thanks to the, uh, to the incredible crew that's always putting this together, not only putting it together live, but putting together all the coding, all the process. Um, you know, I think that one of the things we're going to do soon again is to talk about 2.5, but once we get 2.5 done, one of the things I really want to do is come back and really get the whole team together and really talk about how it all works. Because, you know, we've talked a little bit about what we're changing in 2.5, but we we did it once or twice, but it's different now. And I think that we want to kind of, you know, go through that a little bit. So, so stay tuned for that. All right. And uh, now we're going to go ahead and jump into After Hours. This original sound on. It was on. <laughs> it's on now. I turned it on when I came in. Like, that's the weird thing. Does it sound different now? <sighs> I, I literally turned it on when I came in, so I don't know exactly what might have turned it off. It's interesting. Because now it's like I have a thing on. 